0: Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is the slow poisoner. I come to you from the future with these words of warning.
1: It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot horror planet. It's a
0: Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 87. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Attention comic book fans, Lee's Comics of Mountain View, California has closed. But here's the good news. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale for half off. Choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern-age comics and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar, scroll down to Sellers, and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L E E S C O M I C S inc period don't forget the period lee's comics is shipping daily with no delays new items daily mention the fun ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift
2: long title looking for the good times examining the monkey song one by one by michael Ventrella and mark arnold a book that examines each song gives lots of details about each song and our own personal opinions You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch.
0: Hey, Michael. It says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, a timeline of the monkey's solo years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. you sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has
2: discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike,
0: the Solo Monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer.
2: Announcer? That's me. Get Headquartered, a timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and
0: Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. Currently, I'm working on my Mad and Disney books, as well as articles on the Pink Panther and on Popeye for Back Issue Magazine. Our guest today is put on Beatles and Monkeys conventions, tours of Liverpool, and used to publish Good Day Sunshine. Here he is, Charles Rosnay. Okay, on the phone today I have Charles F. Rosnay, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. That's, that's how I first knew you. Um, how are you today? <laughs> I'm
2: great. Thank you for including those. They're silent, but I appreciate you uh, mentioning
0: them. (laughs) And uh, as I usually do on these type of conversations, I just say, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in doing things for the Beatles, the Monkees, and everything else that you do.
2: Yeah, I appreciate you asking. So uh, around the the late 70s, I was working as an intern at um, a theater, and uh, at the place i learned all the things not to do <laughs> in show business it went out of business really quick but whilst there um i was working for a gentleman from cleveland who had moved to connecticut um thought he was gonna do a real big entertainment complex and said you know hey uh why don't you do yours talk about the beatles you go to the beatles conventions and all there's in boston and new york why don't you do one in, in new haven here at my place and I said, sure. Uh, he goes, well, let's call your company Liverpool
1: Productions. And and it was born in this theater in New Haven, where
2: um, we decided, okay, we're going to do a Beatles convention. But of course, he went out of business before the time to do that. So I said, I'll move it to a hotel. Had no idea what I was doing. Uh, took my parents' money. I sold a butcher cover and some memorabilia and put on a convention that only had maybe one dealer, one special guest, and a handful
1: of folks who came (laughs) who were friends of mine. And I don't know how it exploded, but
2: from there, produced... um, uh, more of the conventions in Connecticut, did it in Boston in 1980, uh, had it in Miami in 1984 where it drew uh, about over 50,000 people, it was the largest Beatles event uh, for the 20th anniversary of the Beatles uh, coming to America,
1: mm-hmm. did
2: that in Miami, and then I was you know, the person to go to for all the people who wanted conventions in secondary and tertiary markets, uh, Denver, Seattle, uh, it was just really cool, upstate New York and I was doing shows all over the place, um, and at the same time, I was publishing a Beatles magazine called Good Day Sunshine, which I think you might have gotten a copy or two of <laughs> down the road,
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: and uh, that was from 81 on, from 83 on, I started doing um, the Beatles tours to Liverpool. Um, Which we've we've done every summer except for this year because of COVID. And, um, being a big monkeys fan, I thought, wow, I'd love doing these Beatle conventions. Let's bring the monkey conventions that they were having in, you know, a really small, um, small level to a bigger level. Brought in a Peter Tark, who was the first. Major guest, you know, a Beatle had never been to a Beatles convention, Monkey's never been to a Monkey convention, we got <laughs> Peter Tork, and then we also had Peter, Pete Best from the Beatles at, you know, a Beatles convention, <laughs> and uh, you know what, so years later, still doing the Beatle tours, still doing Beatle music festivals, and uh, you know what, this morning, I was playing uh, some solo Beatles stuff for the kids which I didn't think they'd knew they'd known and they did. I was really proud of them, you know, <laughs> "Devil Deep Blue Sea" and uh, "Beautiful
0: Boy" and some of, uh, you know, thought, the stuff that I thought they didn't get exposed to growing up and they're in their teens now and they knew every song so it made me very proud. <laughs> very cool. <laughs> No, I have like a zillion questions based on everything you said. Um, uh, so I'll just kind of go through things that popped in my mind. So on that very first, sure. That very first show you did, uh, you said you had one dealer and you had like uh, one guest. Who was the guest? <laughs> I'm just curious. Uh, uh, I was uh, afraid you were going to ask me that. <laughs> so the, dealer, the dealer was Johnny O. Johnny
2: Otero was famous for um, selling Beetle satin jackets, oh. and he'd be at every convention, and he and he just rolled the dice and gambled with me, and we would Came so close, friends. In fact, he came to Japan with me, and he did, you know, a lot, a lot of conventions with me wherever I would go. And we had, we did, we had a few local guys. There was one guy who happened to have a uh, 16 millimeter of uh, copy of Magical Mystery
1: Tour. Mm. So I said, you know, if you let me show it, or you can have a table and sell stuff. So we did. He was only one national deal. We had about five or six other okay. exhibitors. <laughs>
2: but, but living in Connecticut at the time, um, where I still do, of course, uh, Louise Harrison was living in Connecticut. She was yeah. in Danbury.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I thought, all right, she's in Connecticut. I'm having a convention. I'll get her. Of course, I had no way to reach her. Didn't have a number. Didn't have an email. There was no emails in those days. No no internet. No way to reach her. So I figured, all right, I'll put on the convention. You know, build it and they will come. And she'll reach me and she'll want to come, but she never did. Oh. So uh, we got this gal named Terry Weidman, who was the president of the Beatlemania fan club, which was a big deal at the time because Beatlemania was on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Selling out, you know, being a big deal, and she was there actually the official president of their fan club and she was my special guest that's uh, how it, you know that's how um un, un, you know uh, i don't know what the word is but we were, really weren't to the point of you know where we were where we were getting guests like cynthia lennon and john lennon's sister right. julia and alan williams and alf McNell and norm rossington and pete best and all those right. amazing guests richie havens you know it's just on and on and on through the years but uh and that was a good spring point you know we had a local <laughs> band i'll tell you a funny story we have this group called and they were amazing. You go to any club in Connecticut on any given night in those days they were playing and selling out and they were great. They were the best Beatles bar band that ever, <laughs> ever existed. <laughs> and I say that because their whole repertoire was danceable. So, you know, w- whether it was uh, Devil in a Heart, it was a little uptempo. It was a little faster. They would do everything uh, to make it danceable. <laughs> and I thought, great. I'm going to bring them to the convention only charging, what, $5 to get in? And, uh, you know, this is gonna sell out because everywhere they go, they'll promote it. Well, they couldn't promote whatever they want because in all those places, the club owner said, no, you never promote anything else except you're next to the pier. So they didn't promote it. Mm. And what I didn't realize is all the people who went to see them were going to see them, you know, at the local tavern where they could drink all night, get drunk, dance to Beatles <laughs> songs, and don't cover charge. So these people who were big fans of this band never wanted to go to a convention, they weren't, you know, they weren't going to pay the five bucks and not get to drink their heads off, so (laughs) we learned quickly in future years, we used, you know, real Beatle tribute bands. (laughs) uh,
0: um, I assume you eventually did get Louise Harrison, correct?
2: Oh, you know what? No, we didn't. Wow. (laughs) Very interesting story, <laughs> Louise and I. You know, of course, known each other. We were friends for a while, but she never appeared at a convention. Huh. But in the mid '80s, um, I was producing a show in Connecticut, and we had Joey Molland and we had May Pang. Mm-hmm. And but the big, the headliners was, and this was my whole advertising campaign, was uh, coming to the Beatles convention: McCartney, Lennon, and Harrison. <laughs> How is that possible, right, Mark? <laughs>
0: Well, of course, well, it's it was not V. The... It, it was Ruth. It was Ruth McCarty.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: it was Cynthia Lennon, which mm-hmm. is, a, you know, a big name, and yeah. it was Louise Harrison. Uh-huh. Um, but Louise backed out, Aww. and uh, it was really weird because you know we were friends, and then you know she said everything she does, she does for fans, and everything she does, she does for charity. But for some reason. Um, The fans didn't matter at this show, (laughs) and the fact that I was going to give an appearance fee to charity for her didn't matter. Um, I think she was told by another um, Beatle Convention producer, shall remain... (laughs) <laughs> nameless that if she does my shows she may not be able to do his shows anymore and so it, all of a sudden she no, didn't speak to me anymore and she got a, i got a call from someone who represented her who said i'm sorry she's no longer available oh, so that kind of sucked because it, we wanted to promote it as you know lennon mccartney and harrison yeah. at a convention but it was still a mccartney and a and a lennon
0: yeah. and uh, so well, it never
1: appeared <laughs> at my
0: at any of my shows oh. <laughs> any star starkey relatives <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know, but okay. um, I knew Harry Graves, who was his stepdad, okay. pretty well, because in the early tours that we would take to Liverpool, uh, we'd see him, and we'd also see uh, Uncle Charlie, John Lennon's uncle, we'd see a mm-hmm. lot, so there was a lot of really cool people who got, sadly have passed away, yeah. you know, God rest their souls, um, but um, that was the closest we got to a, a Ringo relative, but I'll tell you... Well, Getting Pete Best, you know, at the time was a real coup because he (laughs) hadn't done anything uh, in the States. um, And he hadn't really, people, you know, uh, sour grapes, Pete Best, not (laughs) really. And they learned what a great guy he was and how how fan-friendly he was Mm -hmm. and what great stories he told. So Mm -hmm. uh, it was a a mutually rewarding relationship. I I represented him for a few years, actually, in the States and booked him um, with someone else on a college tour and did a lot of great things with Pete. And that was at the time that he had released his um, bio, his his biography. So it was really great timing for that.
0: Very cool. Now, um, you mentioned the Shall Remain Nameless other conventions. I'll I'll just uh, keep it on that level, but I mean have you had uh, any sort of flack with the competition like that? I mean, is there a big competition to get guests, and I want my show to be the best and everything? I mean, like, I'm kind of more from the comic book world, and it seems like yeah. everybody kind of generally gets along. You know, they they don't compete tooth and nail too much for guests. I mean, everybody just does their tours, and everybody shows up to everything. Sure, so.
2: sure. And, and idyllically, I mean, that's how I would love it would be. Um, I was very close with a gentleman by the name of Joe Pope, yeah. And Joe was the originator, the pioneer. Did the first Beatles convention in America. Um, did the uh, Strawberry Field Forever Beatles fanzine, which was a big inspiration for my Good Day Sunshine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love Joe, and and he should rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a lot for a Beatles fandom. You know, uh, bootleg everything. He was he was the man. <laughs> um, and when I first did my Beatles convention in, in you know in New Haven, I actually dedicated the the event. To my, you know, my my forefathers. I put Joe Pope and Mark Lapidus, right in my program book.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I guess without ma- I, oops, I mentioned the names. Sorry, without mentioning <laughs> names, there's people there's people who feel that, who might feel that they have exclusivity who feel that they're the only ones who should be doing things that anyone else doesn't
1: deserve to do Any, i don't know i don't know Mm. but you know
2: I i was getting guests that no one else was you know i had john Lennon's sister julia before anyone else norm rossington from a hard day night pete best before anyone else may Pang before anyone. you know i could go down the line of of guests that i had before anyone but not because of any other reason but i was their friend you know we met in liverpool some of the times you know, we hit it off uh, on a personal level first. Sam Leach, you know, one of the early Beatle promoters, um, just a wonderful guy and, and, you know, uh, always, you know, brought him over for conventions. Um,
1: the Beatles, the son of the Beatles, Taylor, you know, Gordon Millings, um, <laughs> wow. his, you
2: know, Dougie <laughs> Millings' son. So a lot of really cool people, Um and I don't think there was a jealousy that I did that but I think that's somewhere down the road, probably in two thousand and in 9 i I'm sorry, nineteen eighty four when I had that Miami show and, you know, fifty thousand people attended. So ridiculous compared to, you know, what, five thousand people who yeah. come to a normal, you know, three day show.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and I was on I was on CNN and I was on uh, all these channels talking about the Beatles 20th anniversary. At that point, I was the go-to guy,
1: publishing yeah. Good
2: Day Sunshine, doing conventions, you know, uh, when they wanted a guest, or, if you know, if someone passed away. How do I get in touch with Sid Bernstein? How do I get in touch with Alan Williams? I was a media, um, focal point. So they would call me, and I would hook that up. So I was really tight with media, and, and I got a lot of coverage in those days. And I think it upset, you know, someone else who was doing the conventions and the fests and all that because I was banned from their shows. Hmm. Um, and and we we made you know we made up through the years and became what I thought you know cordial. And I kept and I started going to the to their events and promoting my tours. And promote not so much promoting Good Day Sunshine, but you know, that that was my big thing. I would go to those <laughs> shows and promote my tour. And I guess now, you know, it's flash flash forward ahead to um fast forward ahead to two thousand and fourteen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's the Beatles fiftieth anniversary, right? <laughs> and I'm and I'm doing and I'm doing shows at um the Hudson Theater in New York, mm-hmm. the town hall. Um, nightclub and the Apollo Theater, wow. four nights of mega shows. I mean, when I say mega, we're talking about uh, acts like Tommy James, Mary Wilson of the Supremes, Geraldo Rivera, um, <laughs> Danny Aiello, Leslie Uggams, Lulu. <laughs> wow. I, I, Gary U.S. Bonds, I mean, these are huge names who are all part of this week-long celebration. Al Jardine from the Beach Boys, and they're coming to do Beatles songs, plus their songs for four nights. Mm -hmm. Well, there happens to be a major Beatles convention, also in New York at the same time. Mm and it's you know it, they moved it out of new jersey moved it to new york it's a big deal i don't want to, why are we have this conversation about about, <laughs> <laughs> about the other show well the other show must have been very upset that i was doing four nights in manhattan thinking that i'm doing it to hurt him yeah. for i don't know what crazy reason but i'm doing it because it's the beatles 50th anniversary and this is what i do and oh. we have four you know four sold out nights amazing event it only complemented the other event, which people, if they're coming from you know uh, Oshkosh or wherever, um, yeah. could go to the convention during the day, spend all their money buying stuff, having a great time, and then go to this other concert at night. I mean, this was great symmetry
1: yeah.
2: um, but I guess not because since then I've again been banned from the, oh, that brother. convention. <laughs> So it's sad. It's sad. I don't want to be. I want to be friends. Yeah. I want to attend. I want to be able to promote my tours there. I, I send in ads that are get, that get rejected. So thank you for giving me a forum for for for, <laughs> <laughs> for venting.
1: But you well, have I'm, I'm bad always cu- answer.
0: I'm always curious about these things because yeah, I was a subscriber for Good Day Sunshine for years. You know, I, I don't think I yeah. have every issue because I think I started about '83. That's also when I started subscribing to Beetle Fan too. Because I just wanted more stuff, and I got Club Sandwich and everything else. And it was around 83. Even though I'd been a Beatle fan for years, I just wanted more stuff to get. (laughs) Sure. And yours always attracted me. Um because he always did, like, little cassette tapes of, of, like, at that point, hard to find music. I mean, now, maybe not so much, but I still cherish sure, yeah. those tapes and stuff. Um, yeah, once a year we would do the Christmas issue on cassette, right. and, and
2: the, the inspiration for that was Joe Pope,
0: because
2: yeah. for Strawberry Fields, for years, he was putting out Flexi Discs. Right. And that was and that was that generation. So my generation was cassettes. I guess the next generation would have been I don't want to say eight track. It would have been
0: DVDs. CDs yeah, or DVDs. CDs, right,
2: yeah. right, right. And you know it's it's sad because um, I run a haunted house in Connecticut, and there's four or five other haunted attractions in the state. That so we are such good friends, and we promote each other. And we want someone to go to one and have a great time and then go to the other. and it, I, I feel that way with horror conventions and yeah. I feel that way with everything. You know if someone loves going to one, you gotta believe they're going to another too. Right. you know, let them go. there's enough there's enough fans to go around. it's It would be only good if if someone was walking out of my show,
0: and I was handing them
2: a flyer. Hey, look what's coming up, you know,
0: yeah. in, in next, next February or March. And like I said, right at, for, at comic book conventions, they're always handing out flyers for another one, especially if you're in the same absolutely. area. You know, it's like, oh, this is next weekend? Sure, I'll go to that one, too. Um, but here's the weird and thing, you mentioned, and this and is...
2: You mentioned, and you mentioned fan. I'm the biggest... I mean, I've, you know, gotten issues from day one, and, and I love fan and I yeah. think we even traded ads... From, from the, you know, while we were still together, you know, th- there and all that. Mm-hmm. And we would, you know, consult each other. Bill King is a great guy. I
0: love yeah. Beatle fan. And it's, it's thanks.
1: thank goodness it survived all yes, these years. Yes.
2: And the Internet hasn't crashed it.
0: Right. It's so great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, the thing that's kind of bizarre about the whole thing, and this is me being a California native and now living in Oregon, and I've said this for years, and then always somebody says, well, they tried a show, but it didn't work. You know, Beatle conventions seem to be a big East Coast thing. And same thing with Three Stooges conventions, horror conventions, everything. It's like the the only thing we get out of here is like comic books and stuff and maybe some autograph shows. And that's why, you know, it's like, how come nobody ever does it out here? Is it because everything's kind of more... Because of Ed Sullivan and New York centrified and, you know, England's closer to New York than here or whatever. It never gets out to California. But every time I say that, somebody says, well, I tried one in San Francisco once and it flopped. Well, I don't remember it because I lived there for 10 years. I think I would know about it. Um, you know, I remember there was one in LA, but I couldn't make it because even LA is like a jaunt, you know, from San Francisco. Sure, sure. You, know, sure, it's, sure. you know, and so.
2: In a, uh, in a perfect world, yeah i don't think I don't think there's a support of it now as much as in the heyday,
1: but
0: yeah.
2: there should have been. Beetle yeah. conventions In every state There's no yeah. reason Why it could have Supported For a thousand people yeah. So let's say um, there, there was once A Beetle Fest In San Francisco yeah. And there was a Many many Years of LA Of course yeah. And then there was A San Diego um, Come together Beatle Fair For mm-hmm. many years yeah. um, Which I don't know If they still have But um, the West Coast Never really supported it Like the East Coast Or yeah. else it would have Still been done But some promoters Might feel that If it doesn't get Three, four, five, six Thousand people, it's not worth doing. Yeah. Um. I'm, I don't. I don't. Ha- I'm not of the, school, the same school of thought. I'll do a monkey's convention, and if five hundred people come, I'm ecstatic because.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, that's what I was asking. I mean, it's how much? How much is enough? You know, it's like you know. To me, yeah. it's like. Are there fans out here? I don't even know how to organize a convention, nor would I really want to. I like to attend them more than you know. But it's like, you know, yeah, it seems like yeah, if yeah. I if I did one here or in Portland, Oregon, or something like that, uh, I could probably get five hundred people to show up just with I'll the name Beatles, Monkeys, you know, you know.
2: We we've started something here. Let's go forward with it. You and I will do a Beatles
0: Okay. Beatles convention. It'll be the you last thing one. I do before I die. I'll do one convention and go. Wow, that was a big pain in the ass. No. Anyway. Uh, no, but it is kind of curious. You know, we did get Star Trek conventions and things like that. Uh-huh. But, yeah, it was, it was kind of weird. Just certain topics never made it out here. I would love to have horror conventions. There is one in Portland. But it, it, uh-huh. it, it, it they get too... Centralized, like they they say, well, we'll cover like horror novels or something. It's like, eh, no, I want it to be like classic, Universal <laughs> or <laughs> Hammer sure, films sure. or something. You know, whatever. Um, but I'd love a monkey. It's really con-
1: fun. It's really funny because some
2: like Chiller Theater is the name of a, a convention that right. started out as horror, but now it's more of like like your LA celebrity show. Yeah. It's more pop culture and it's everything. And um, it tried to do a show once in virginia
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh it bombed and kevin who's a good friend of mine who is the producer of it you know said i'll never go back there let me stay where i'm mm-hmm. some of that as, as silly as this sounds um in 1980 um for uh, when well, well was it 1980 yeah well we lost john of course so two in 2010 I did a anniversary of John's passing mm. and we did three concerts, three tributes um called Remember Lennon Imagine 80 and we did them in my hometown New Haven. I did one in New London which is an hour away and in uh, I think Massachusetts and the New Haven one sold 1, a thousand, great sell out, oh. phenomenal. The New London one sold 200, the Massachusetts one sold 300. Mm. Why is that? The same show? Yeah. In different markets I think it's because my, in my backyard uh, more people knew of it somehow yeah. so if I'm doing a convention in New Haven
1: yeah
2: uh, people are gonna know about it And now, if I move that convention all of a sudden to Philadelphia it's not gonna it may be great and may not have the same amount of people yeah. so if someone is doing a, 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 a festival of some sort in New Jersey and that's mm-hmm. in their backyard and then they do it in Chicago, and that's working pretty good, and they do it in LA, and it's, ah, oh, it's okay. I think the further you are away from home, for some reason, hmm. you, it's not going to be as successful. I think living in the community okay. and, and knowing your media so well, and yeah. knowing which papers, what, what, for, oh, this is a free newspaper, but yeah. everyone reads it for events. Somebody from out of that area might not know yeah. of that paper. Um, you know radio stations well oh, there's gonna let's do 12 interviews I can do 12 interviews in my hometown but if you tell me you know in Portland, you got to go do some interviews maybe I'll find one maybe I'll find an FM rocker maybe I'll mm-hmm. find two but someone who lives there and knows the the um, culture and knows the community so well can find oh well, there's this amazing am oldie station that would do an interview but we wouldn't know that yeah. so sometimes you know for an outside promoter to go Go to a new area and to do an event. There, there. I don't want to say they're in a foreign land, but um, it always works best when you're doing shows in your own in your own
0: homestead on your own yeah. land. It just it seems weird that there aren't the same sort of rabid type fans like yourself, let's say, <laughs> that would actually want to create a convention out here in their backyard. Here, you know, but I, I guess that's a difference between West Coast and East Coast. I don't know. Um, one, ah. of, one of these days I'll have to just make a trip I mean, I've been to New York many times But never for convention or in the, the general area It's always just been for, oh. you know, pleasure Except for once, I did do an uh, art museum show But, uh, yeah, it's like, I, I just never think about Oh, I should schedule it in conjunction with a convention and go there uh, uh. You know, <laughs> I just right. you know. But I've done it here, I've gone down to San Diego Comic Con many times You know, and things like that Yeah you know, so I don't know. It's just a weird thing, but ah, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. Um, now, mo- moving back to your publication, there, I'll talk a little bit about that. So, how did you, you know? Obviously, Beetle Fan was already underway, and a few others, and I think Beatles Monthly had to come back, and a few other magazines. Did you, what prompted you to start Good Day Sunshine? Did you think, oh yeah, there's ten Beetle magazines, let's have another one? <laughs> or,
1: <laughs>
2: So prior to starting it, people were always saying, "Why don't you do a Beatles magazine?" And my answer was, "Why should I?" There's so many out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you, um, it got to a point. So here I am. I'm doing conventions for three, three or four years. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm building up this amazing network of people who they come to my convention, and we're friends, mm-hmm. and we're and we're pen pals. Pen pals. For your listeners who don't know what a pen pal is, yeah. <laughs> this is pre-email. When you <laughs> wanted to communicate with someone who was in Springfield, Massachusetts, from New Haven, Connecticut, or Bronx, New York, or 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 um, you know New Jersey, you, you had to send a letter. <laughs> um, because because calling them would be uh, ten cents a minute. Forget that. That's a long distance phone call. Right. <laughs> so you so you'd you know do the twelve cent stamp and you'd write a letter and you'd send a little beetle. Clipping or something.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I was literally spending four or five hours a day writing to these people who were fellow fans who had come to conventions or asking what. And I thought, wait a second, wait a second. I heard about this little Beatles fanzine because I was subscribing to everything. Mm-hmm. I was getting all of them. But Joe Popes had been in, um, really stopped happening. It yeah. really, really disappeared for a while.
1: Yeah.
2: And this magazine called Good Day Sunshine out of. Puerto Rico um, was going out of business, and and I said, well, I'll just take it over. I don't want you to lose your subscribers. I don't want it to disappear. I love the name, and I said, can I change it to Dig It? I wanted to call it Dig It, (laughs) because I thought Dig It was a great title of a magazine, um, which someone who sees it will understand if they're a Beatle fan the connection, but if they're not a Beatle fan Ah cool. I can dig it. It's a yeah. nice name for a rock and roll magazine yeah. So that gave me you know the possibilities of expanding in the future well long story short She said now if you can take it over it has to be a good Day session I said okay took it over um, We had an agreement she sends me her subscription Subscriber list and it was 26 subscribers. <laughs> oh. I thought, well, I'm going to be starting with, you know, four or 500, whatever. Yeah. And, and that was some of the zines who printed, you know, at home <laughs> in those days only had 20 or 30 subscribers. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's okay. Cause I have 20 or 30 friends who are pen pals. If I have 50 or 60 or hundred, that's great. I don't have to write separate letters <laughs> because I could keep them up to date with the, with the good day sunshine. Uh, Forum, and while it made sense because the first page of every issue was my letter, right, and it told what I was up to and what I was promoting and what I was doing, and it was basically the same letter that I would probably written twenty or thirty times to (laughs) different people. So that was the genesis of Good Day Sunshine was to to be in touch with all the fans. Not having any idea that it was going to explode into, you know, five, ten thousand. You know, we were, so, we were in every distribution. We were in every Tower Records.
1: We were yeah, in every Barnes that, yeah. and Noble.
2: I had no idea it would, be, it would become, you know, the biggest part of what I do. Now, mind you, I'm a full-time a party DJ. I'm producing conventions. I'm producing tours. I'm starting Dracula tours. I'm starting ghost tours. All this, I'm um, taking care of elderly parents. And I'm publishing a magazine. You've published books. You know how much time goes into Now imagine putting out an 80-page or 100-page magazine or a book every other month.
0: Yeah. I, I never hey, even did that. I mean, I did my Harveyville Fun Times for 21 years. It, it, I uh-huh. think the biggest issue might have been... Uh, well, the last ones were bigger, but the the when it was the quarterly, it was uh, like 36 pages. But most of the time, they're like... 20, 24 pages. And uh, it was or, quarterly. Oh. It wasn't bi monthly. And it's like, oh. I, oh. And I said, wow. And I think you were doing it all by yourself. You didn't have a big staff or anything like that. You might have had. I had, some... my, I had my parents. Okay. and Sometimes
2: friends would come over um, and we'd hang out and we'd, and we'd play Beatle videos. And <laughs> and what would we do? I would spend two months finishing the magazine. I'd get it to the printer and I would go, uh, I would relax for a day because the next day I had to start addressing 2,500 envelopes.
0: Oh, <laughs>
2: So until we got computers that printed them out, I would hand
0: address every envelope. <laughs> and then we'd send
2: that. them out and then and until there was bulk postage yeah. you know and even bulk postage was a horror because you'd have to separate it by zip code and sort it and get these issues out well anyway finally it came to a point where i i, I couldn't do it anymore my po- folks were really getting on age I Had to take care of them i had a dj company where i was working every weekend but i had like 20 guys under me working seven nights a week it was a real a real huge thing we were the largest dj company all new england Really successful on that end, and that was kind of paying. That was subsidizing for GDS because Good Day Sunshine was never made money. Yeah. You know, you know, by putting out a publication regularly, you're doing it for the love of it, and you're yeah. doing it for continuity. And a great guy by the name of uh, Matt Hurwitz, you know, who was my best writer, um, did these amazing collectors' columns and great stuff. That. I don't have anything in my life. I will take it over. And this was like a model to him. I'm so happy. Finally, someone is going to take this over. You know, it's going to be the higher quality. Every color cover will be color. He's going to continue the thing. And I think we put out a few more issues and he said, I can't
1: take it anymore. I'm
2: allergic to, I'm allergic to the computer screen. It's too much (laughs) for me.
1: (laughs) And, and GDS unfortunately, you
2: know, fell by the wayside and, um, but it, it leaves great memories. Amazing issues, history, you know, every issue had the most, Bill Harry would contribute to it.
1: There was just
0: right. amazing, amazing articles and photos, and I'm just very, very proud, uh, you know, of the 20-whatever years that we did was it for. I say, do you know the number of the last issue? I don't even know if I was subscribing to the bitter end. I, I remember Matt taking over now that you mentioned it, but uh, do you know how many issues got out ultimately, or no? I not
2: I want to okay.
0: say... It was over 100, No, I point.
2: really... Uh, yeah, I would guess. I hope we hit 100. Cause if not, we should go back and make sure
0: we do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do one last issue. Yeah, I didn't make it to 100. I got to 75, and I said I gotta stop. <laughs> it's like. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was after I, 21 years. I don't know. Uh, what, so when did you take it over? Uh, you said you took it over. So what was your? I started it. it I
2: started it. In the beginning of
0: 1980 was when I said I was going to put it out. Okay. And then uh, we had a huge issue convention. Number? Do you remember the issue number of that one?
2: Well, well, we
0: started at one. Oh, you started over again. You just got the name. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. You were yeah. Just, we started at oh, one. got it. Got, okay. Because I yeah, wasn't a subscriber to, then, like I said. You know, if you're like, in the comic book field, yeah. you know that you always want to start with a number one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which but causes a great confusion, part of too, in being in the comic book field. It's like, I got 37 <laughs> Superman number ones and only... Five of them are worth money. Which ones are they? You know, it's like, you
1: know.
2: <laughs> I get all excited. Wonder Woman number one. I'm so psyched. And I open it up, and it's, you
0: know, it's 2015, and yeah. it's worth ninety nine. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's worth less than the cover. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, that's, um, the, that's um, the case. And it's like, oh, geez, yeah, just do legacy numbering, please. You know, it's like, okay, I get it. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah. But, uh. Yeah. But,
2: but Good Day Sunshine, um. We had a major Beatles convention in October of that year,
1: mm-hmm. and this
2: is the, the, the saddest part. We did a birthday card for John
1: because
2: mm-hmm. um, it was the, the week before his convention, and we were going to deliver it on his birthday to the Dakota, uh-huh. and we we um, did it, we got a gigantic bedspread, a giant sheet, a, a bed mm-hmm. sheet, and everyone signed, you know, happy birthday, and um, we called uh, the Guinness Book of World Records and said, hi, this is the, the largest birthday card ever. It's going to a celebrity. And we submitted it to Guinness. Guinness ultimately rejected it because it wasn't a card. It was an actual sheet and oh. they didn't consider it a birthday card. So the, we, we arranged to bring it to uh, the Dakota. Yoko, um, had, I guess through uh, aides or, or assistance had agreed to that we'd be able to come bring it in, blah, blah, blah. Rolling Stone magazine met us there. There. And it was mm-hmm. myself, Mike Strito, Dean Falcone, my, a few friends of mine, and my mom. We all took the trip to New York. Mm-hmm. And we parked and we walked over. We wrapped this all so nicely and um, got to there. Uh, the do- there was a doorman. There's always a doorman at the Dakota. And he called up and the message came back. Not that the Lennons were away, but I'm told to tell you that the Lennons are away. <laughs> and then John and Yoko can't <laughs> receive this. Yeah. So they're going to send someone down and they sent someone down. It might have been Fred Seaman. It might have been Mario Casciano. It might have been who yeah. I don't know who the assistant was that came because we we're it was a blur. Everything at yeah. that point was a blur. And we gave it over to them never got a note, never got a thank you. I don't know if I ever put my return address or a phone number Mm -hmm. or any way that they could have even gotten back to me because I had expected to give it to them personally, to John personally. And um, as we know, he passed in December of that year. So I never got to meet John, and I got to meet Paul, George, and Ringo in subsequent years, but mm. that's a, the saddest, and, that, and that's the one that always, you know, it's just so sad for so many reasons on oh. so many levels, yeah. and that was just the, the worst end of that year.
0: Right. It's hard to believe it put out, the same put amount of time. time that he was alive it's been since he passed away you know it's like 40 years Jeez. yeah you know, it's, it's like, unbelievable you know i was of in high school then first. and it's like you know i was just i took the next day off from school i i couldn't do it you know it's like and i was kind of feeling yeah. under the weather too because it was december i always seem to get sick every december anyway but so i stayed yeah. home and listened to beatles music and cried so that's what i did at age 14 i just turned four no i it was right before i turned 14 yeah because uh, my, right. ber- my birthday is a week later, you know, and it's like, um, and my, you know, this is kind of a sad story, I suppose. My mom had already bought Double Fantasy to give me for Christmas, and she said, wow. well... You know, since he died, I'll give it to you early. Here it is, and I was like, I was like, I was like, bawling, and I listened to that thing. And then it got to the point where I couldn't listen to it anymore. It's like I had to stop, you know. And I didn't listen to that album for years, you know. And then now I can listen to it. It's no big deal. It's like, but yeah, during the 80s, I don't think I could listen to it at all. It was just so painful, you know just that album i mean yeah. i can listen to milk and honey or any of the later reissues or whatever yeah. you know it was just that one album i was like sure no. i get it i get yeah. it yeah. well
1: the first <laughs> issue of good day sunshine wound up
2: coming out right after john passed so it was a tribute to him that first issue yeah and um we used some photos that were never published and that was a newspaper we yeah. printed it as a uh, like the size of uh, the, the Daily News or the New York Times, a fold-over newspaper. But then it went, you know, to a standard after that. But um, it's really I'm um, remembering, because we had, I haven't thought about this in a long time. Um, when John was killed, um, you know, so many people were calling, you know, how do you feel, how do you feel, how do you feel? And I didn't sleep. I did not sleep because <laughs> It was endless calls, but it was also the media calling, can we interview you about this? Can, we inter- can you get us Sid Bernstein? We want to talk to him about this. Can we get May and they were calling me, so I was like, this is, no, no, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to do that now. Yeah. yeah. And about a week later, I had a meeting with my Capitol Records rep um, in, uh, in, in Hartford, Connecticut, because I was a freshman at college and I was on a radio station and I was the music director, so I would meet with some of the reps to get music, mm-hmm. and we'd gone on the way there, and we're listening to the radio, and starting over came on. Yeah. And I pulled over, because my mom was in the car, she wanted to go shopping in that area, I just started crying, because <laughs> it, it, it hit me. It took a week, yeah. and I, I wasn't listening to it, and it hit me, and it just, oh, it was so, so, so strong, and I thought, no, starting over, it's, it's, he's not it's just the opposite yeah you know there's no tour no more it was just so overwhelming for for a while there and you know you know how people lose someone and and everyone grieves differently but sometimes it kicks in
1: uh, you don't know when at a later time and that's that's what happened with with john for me
0: wow. <laughs> yeah yeah and yes strangely enough he's the only one i have his autograph because i got it in some sort of contest and i was thinking was that through good day sunshine but i don't know because i was i think it was through another one but it, did you used to run little uh drawings where people would win little prizes or was that one of the other uh fans i
2: did but i don't remember ever giving away a lennon autograph
1: yeah
2: i know i had plenty <laughs> of them because my friend mario casciano um, for some reason, he, he was an assistant to Johns, and he had a few of those. Listen to remember. Listen to this poster. Listen to this bumper yeah. sticker. Yeah. It was a John Lennon. You know, one of the albums. I think it was Walden Bridges. Listen to this. And he had uh, given me uh, one of them for myself,
0: and I think one to give away. Yeah. But I don't remember unless yeah. it's that. Yeah, well, it's not on one well, of those. It's actually it was, um, uh, written on a piece of an envelope. And it says, John Lennon, 75, with a little sketch. And it was like, it was just a random drawing of all subscribers. You know, I honestly don't remember if it was Good Day Sunshine, but it's still a cool story, so I'll tell it. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, they uh, did a random drawing, and uh, I actually had to pay for it, you know, which is kind of bizarre. But it was only $25. And I said, you know, even if it's fake, it's only $25, you know. Uh But I legitimately believe it's really his autograph because I've compared it to other things and shown it to people and stuff like that. And it was the way Lennon usually signed. He'd put a little cartoon of himself or or something. And he put the date, and so it said John Lennon, 75. So somebody obviously got his autograph in 1975, you know, and it's like, you know. I go, hmm, you know, kind of it weird definitely
2: thing. wasn't us. I know I definitely never charged
0: twenty-five dollars for yeah. a prize winner. Yeah, <laughs> it might have been one of the other. Like I said, I, you know, after his death, you know, it's like I just went Beatles nutso So even more. I mean, it's like I had already gone yeah. Beatles nutso So because you know, there, you know, I, I became a Beatles fan seventy-seven, and so. Everything was like Saturday Night Live and you know, the boat people and Campuchia yeah. was like, Oh, they're gonna get together again and so I got really excited about it, you know, and And it's like, and then when Lennon started putting out new music and they rumored, oh, he's going to tour in early 81, I go, okay, I'm going to go to this, you know, (laughs) I don't know how, but I'm going to go, because I was pretty young still, you know, but it's like, I ended up seeing the Rolling Stones in 81, so it wasn't like I couldn't go to concerts. Right, right, sure. You know, but, uh, It's just weird looking, listening back on it and everything like that. And it, but it it kind of changed everything after that, you know. And I even tell that. Let me ask you about this because I tell people this, especially younger people, and they don't get it. You know that there was a time, like in the late seventies, where the Beatles were kind of considered really passe, <laughs> and nobody uh-huh. cared about them. And uh, you know, I always say is proof of that is when Ringo did his TV special in 1978 and they actually had to hire people to be like fans <laughs> yeah. you know and it's like there was just a brief moment in the late 70s where nobody really cared about the Beatles that was old news I mean people cared more about the Bee Gees even because they did Saturday Night Cleaver ah, and stuff ah, like so that so I'm going to answer
2: that yes. I'm going to answer that Mark yeah, yeah. so I think that the this, this, um, Sgt. Pepper film yeah. with the Bee Gees um, actually uh, gave the whole Beatles world a curveball. Because you're also talking about a time where the Beatles fanzines were proliferating, where conventions were sprouting up,
1: yeah.
2: um, where uh, Beatlemania was now on Broadway and selling out at the Winter Garden Theater.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so, yeah, was there a lull? Perhaps, yeah. but I think that was all a lashback from the Sgt. Pepper film, because at the same time, one of the most brilliant films of all time came out um, by Gail and Zemeckis, and that's I Want to Hold Your Hand, oh, yeah. starring you know Eddie, Eddie Deason and, and a cast of great characters, Wendy Jo Sperber, and you look back on that it's one of the best. It's so funny. It's right. so forgotten. And it's because of the Pepper film. Um, that Sergeant Pepper film was so banned by critics, was so, that, that perhaps, you know, then Ringo does, yeah, Ringo does his Prince of the Pauper movie, and, and yeah, maybe that's why there's a bunch of things that really fall by the wayside. But that was such a short, short time that yeah. that was the yeah. case. Yeah, but I think that's the reason, and it's so silly that something like that would affect, you know, the real
1: thing.
0: Yeah. but it really did. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think even the solo records of all of them, except Lennon's, because uh, he was on a, the hiatus. You know, you know, George's George Harrison didn't sell as well, and like uh, Back to the Egg didn't sell as well, and of course Ringo tanked with Ringo the Fourth and Bad Boy and things like that, and it's like. Well, they're still the Beatles. that's what I was thinking. It's like, why can't they you know sell a little bit better? And they were selling just a few years ago. What happened? You know I didn't understand yeah. all this, you know' <laughs> Cause I was a teenager yeah. I was a young teenager, you know when all this was happening, and it's like I liked them. We used to have this thing in sixth grade where we could uh on Fridays they allowed us to bring records to school to listen to, and I would bring well, stuff like the yellow submarine soundtrack, and everybody say, "I don't want to listen to that." and then you know so i'd take it home and everybody would be playing saturday night fever for another week and it's like oh geez you know it's like i like that album i don't love 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 that album even now you know, you know. Right. it's like can't we yeah, listen to something a, else you know it's like beatles are old who cares they're you know that was so 10 years ago you know it's like I yeah it. well radio radio was very different then and yeah. I, i'm a big proponent you know being someone who you know I've been a dj
1: many years uh of something called the career hit yeah. and if you look back on
2: some of the people who had you know amazing monster hits and then their follow-ups were okay but it was still a hit yeah. um that would not have been the first hit or would not have been a hit years later yeah you know so ringo's album if oh my my is a hit but if that comes out on Ringo the Fourth or Bad Boy or anything else, <laughs> not, not even gonna chart. Right. Whereas whereas, um, maybe a man like me yeah.
1: uh, if that
2: com- if that comes out on the on the Ringo album that has all the, you know, great hits yeah. it might be a hit. Or right. if six o'clock is released as a single from that album it might be a hit. So yeah. a lot of it is, is is the career and the timing. Yeah. You know that's why that's why so many people. You know, one, one hit wonders. I worship one hit wonders yeah. <laughs> because they've never they were never able to capitalize on that amazing success of that one unbelievable song and even turn it into a, a
1: follow
0: up hit. You know. Yeah. Although I will have to say, well, now we have Sirius and things like that. But you know, just regular I guess they call it terrestrial radio when it's just over the air radio. Um, yeah. You know, it's kind of weird. Like, even though McCartney has had fifty years of hits, they tend to just play Beatles stuff. And maybe I'm amazed. And sometimes you might hear "Band on the Run" on the radio, and it's like, geez, what happened to this? You know, and it's like Ringo never—you know—you'd never hear a Ringo song anymore. And it's like, you know. right? <sighs> but you're
2: also, but you're also talking about what formats? You're talking about either
0: classic rock. Just classic rock that would play stuff in in traditional days would have played more McCartney because, oh, yeah, he was hip with wings or, you know, had some rockers and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, now I love Maybe I'm Amazed, but it's like, geez, can I play something else too? You know? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's it's like when the DJ happens to say, yeah, coming up next, we'll have Paul McCartney on, you know. It's like, yeah, I know. It'll be maybe I'm amazed, and so sure enough, after the commercial, you know, dung dun, right. dung dun, dun, yeah, it's maybe I'm And it amazed. won't be Live
2: and Let Die because they're yeah. playing the uh,
0: Aerosmith version. Yeah, <laughs> or the Guns N' Roses version. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right, Guns yeah. N' Roses. I'm thinking of Come Together. Yeah. you'll hear the Come Together it's, by
1: Aerosmith exactly. and the Guns <laughs> N' Roses Live and
0: Let Die. Exactly. Right. 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 It's you like, know,
2: Paul. Uh, Paul put out the, the new album. You know, uh, whatever. How many years it's been now. Um, great stuff on there, yeah. and the album went to number one and all that. Mm-hmm. But who was playing it? Terrestrial radio really wasn't playing it. No, and, and it, you know you, you put out whether it's Elton John or Clapton doesn't record. You know, was any of those people who are legends of of multi generations? Yeah. And you think, well, Paul McCartney does you know deserves to have a hit? You know, yeah. listen to all this great stuff. You know, Egypt Station. That's there's a lot of yeah. great stuff on there terrestrial radio will not play it Yeah, you know it doesn't, it doesn't have the bass it's so
0: it's weird it's, you know.
2: not, it's not rap
0: I get yeah. it and it's, it's, it's what it is it's sad but it's what it is yeah. you know it just reminds me of that um, uh, story that happened a couple of years ago or maybe four or five years ago but uh, you probably remember this it was in the news and uh, McCartney was going to go to some party uh, with Beck and a couple others and they were turned away <laughs> And McCartney just quit. Yeah, and he just quit. Yeah, Uh, it's like, well, we'll have to record more hits, you know. And it's like, well, you know, he has a point. And I think this was before he did Egypt Station or even New, so it might have been a few years back, you know. And I go, wow. So it must have affected him a little bit because he's had. Two decent albums in in recent times. Although his voice is not as strong, you know. But you know, I still right. I still support him and everything, and I love you know, the compositions and you know the musicianship on all of them. Um, but it is it is really weird, you know, and I noticed this, like, I was literally looking up something about Sonny and Cher, because I got some DVDs and stuff like that, I was looking at Cher's discography, for an example, and uh-huh. during the 70s, when that show was on the air, the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour, all her albums kind of tanked, you know, and some of them didn't even chart, I mean, Yoko Ono charted better than her, <laughs> and, I wow. like, and I'm like, this is Share. And then now, in the last 10 or so years, whenever she's put out an album, which is not as frequent as she did back then, you know, they hit, like, number three and number two, and, you know, McCartney's Egypt Station hit number one. And I go, how does that work? Is this rigged or something? I mean, it's like they're not playing it on the radio. And do just enough fans buy it that one week to get it to number one, and then it drops off the chart the next week? I don't don't get how that works anymore. <laughs>
2: well, did 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 Egypt sta- maybe I'm wrong? That maybe wasn't Egypt Station.
0: That one but, did uh, go to Prince- one. It was his first number one since Tug of War. They made a big deal about it, you know.
2: Right, but was that tied into a tour with a digital well, download of yeah, some sort?
0: Yeah, but I mean McCartney's always touring the last twenty or so odd years since '89. know. Right, it's, but, it's it's but not I like thought, a big I thought, deal. I
2: thought, no, but Mark, I thought when you bought a ticket, you also got the album
0: oh well maybe because i haven't gone to a McCartney tour for years because it costs too much now (laughs) (laughs) yeah no
2: but prince prince actually pioneered that many years ago uh, by giving an album away with ticket sales and as such it's counted as a sale
1: and yeah. therefore, it's a, like a given to shoot to number one. Yeah, and not a
2: lot of artists do that because, for whatever reason. But I think I—I <laughs> I, uh, I hate to say it because you know he's—he's he's one of the deities to me. But I think that <laughs> was what happened with a recent Paul album, and yeah. it, um, it may have been the case because every ticket that was sold included. Um, that, and, and when it's reported,
1: it's reported as a dollar or whatever, yep. as a record sale. Right. So 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 if it goes to number one, it, it
2: sometimes it's because of that. But it deserves to go on to number one on its own merits. Oh, I just yeah. don't know if there's that many people who are still down, you know, of a certain age, if, you're, if you want McCartney music, you either want it on vinyl or CD, you're not going to download it. Right. And if you look at the charts, you know, what's number one is downloads.
0: Yeah. So it's it's it's, it's and, crazy. Yeah, in nowadays if you're just getting into McCartney as a solo artist, you'd probably be more likely to get a compilation like Pure McCartney over a brand new album that's untested and unknown, you know, or whatever. Yes. I mean, I exactly. Yeah, so but they so they did true. that recently with that Monkeys album, the Monkeys uh Mike and Mickey tour. That one was a yeah. a, a ticket tie-in and uh no, right. but, but it didn't go to number one <laughs> it did chart but it tra- you know it, it was it, it did
2: chart amazingly yeah, enough
0: yeah so i guess and, that's uh, something and it's, and it's a- it's a
2: great great live
0: album you yes, so know they
2: yeah. they say finally a monkey's live album there's
0: been a bunch of them yeah obviously yeah but i get because what sandoval's a, saying about it, andrew sandoval you know he, he says this, this, one this counts it, this one counts only because they actually set it up to do it instead of just like oh let's plug into this the mixing board and see what happens you know correct uh, yeah right, so agreed, i get it yeah. i get it you know but i still wouldn't tout it as the first <laughs> you know because uh-huh. you know, but um yeah Whatever you have to say, whatever you need to do to sell albums, I suppose. So. <laughs> I'm
2: fine with it. I mean, you
0: know, I yeah. I
2: love the album and I
0: love the monkeys. Yeah, and well, let's so, talk about the monkeys keep... for a bit. We were talking about Beatles all the time. So you kind of transitioned from Beatles to monkeys more in recent years. How how did that come about, or were you always a monkeys fan?
2: no I definitely did not transition in recent years I was the biggest apologist for the monkeys in, in the times when
0: well I the mean the impre- there no impressions people. for me from the outside I go hey he was the Beatles oh, guy now he's doing all monkey stuff what's this no I didn't know yeah, yeah no and,
2: and and I got really I would always get very defensive of that because mm-hmm. you know if, if I, people say oh yeah he made monkey, money on the Beatles now he's doing the monkeys it makes no sense because if you want to make money you're not doing monkeys do Elvis you know do something that's do Michael Jackson you know it didn't make sense I did monkeys because I was a first generation monkeys fan when pepper came out mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't get it I listened to AM radio mm-hmm. uh, th- you know it didn't list this the, the songs on the album I didn't know any hits <laughs> I, I, I didn't I didn't get pepper when it came out I got the monkeys albums and I love the monkeys and of course you know I, I, I it, it wasn't long before I got back to the Beatles but I kept playing monkeys and when there was this group Dolan's Jones, Boys and Heart. Why can't I see them? Where are they? Why aren't they on T V? Right. You know, and I, I, I there was no way to keep in touch with what the monkeys were doing except through this fanzine called Monkey Business Fanzine yep. out of New Jersey and come to find out this gal Maggie McManus putting on these little conventions in trenton new jersey where i can actually go and i go one year and another year i go and i bring you know i have an endless monkeys convention uh, the monkeys memorabilia and records and all this mm-hmm. i sold everything i couldn't believe that <laughs> i would put a picture of the monkeys that i clipped out of a magazine and it sold it was like this never happens at Beatles shows mm. um and i said and i said to maggie you know i do the beetle conventions Um, any chance you'd consider bringing it to Connecticut and bringing it to another level, I'd like to produce it with you. And she said, sure. Mm. And that was when we got Peter Tork in 83. Mm. Now, mind you, this was those 70s and 80s, yeah. This was pre '86 when they got together. People were still laughing at the monkeys yep. being a made-up group. They still had no clue that they actually could play their own instrument. Da 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 da. So I, I, you know, when when it was announced that they might be, um, you know, reforming
1: mm-hmm.
2: and putting out another single, um, I was uh, over, over the top because. Yeah. Um, They were going to do their first concert at at, um, a place called the Concord Hotel in upstate New York in the Catskills, where as a kid I used to go with my parents. Every year we'd go to the Catskills for vacations. So I, there was a singles weekend there. I would go. I booked into the hotel a week before. (laughs) I
1: booked in a week
2: before in the hopes that I would get a glance at them. Mark, not only did I get a glance of it, but I I, I, I ate dinner with them. I played softball with them. Yeah. I went to the rehearsals. I went to the shows. I sat in the front. You know, Peter. I, I reminded him that he came to my convention in eighty in eighty two in nineteen eighty two. We became friends. You know, mm-hmm. and I playing softball with Mickey and with Davy. You know, it started a relationship which continued up until. You know, Peter and Davey passed. We were still always in touch. Right. You know, Mickey, I've interviewed so many times, and he's been a guest at so many conventions. And Mike, I had the pleasure of meeting just a few years ago on a solo tour. He was the elusive one for me, as many.
1: Right. And
2: right. Um, so I was able to, you know, meet them all, and, and I considered Davey and Peter, you know, friends who I would just call. Davey would call. You know, a Clear Blue Sky, the phone would ring. I wouldn't recognize the number. You go, Charles, yeah, this is Davey. Uh, Davey, <laughs> Davey Jones? I, I, yeah, well, <laughs> Davy was i'm like what, what what's going on hey i got a i found in my attic a bunch of beetle beetle cards what are those worth oh, wow. <laughs> i would say ah, a buck, about a buck a piece
0: <laughs> all right i was hoping
2: they were worth more all right thanks bye I, yeah get you that a clear blue sky i get those calls so that was pretty special it just said sign your name um, on all of them and then <laughs> <that will talk. laughs> i had I, I known but um <laughs> but i was a monkey fan from the beginning and just okay. never thought there would be a market for doing yeah. monkey conventions and yeah so it's going back to 83 was my first monkeys convention in 87 i did one in new jersey which had peter mickey Davy Boyce, and art Ooh. i co-produced that one mm-hmm. in 2013 i produced one with two gals and we had uh it was a tribute to davey because he had just passed and mickey was there and peter was there and just everyone you could think of it was probably the biggest monkeys convention of all time And then we did one just this past February before COVID hit. We did one as a tribute to Peter Torque and a lot of people who were involved in his um, just uh, people who were in his bands. People who were, uh, toured with him, sound engineers, friends of his, his personal secretary all were guests at the show. And it was, again, it was like the, uh, hearkening old, to the old days, cause it was only a few hundred people. I never did it for that, for the money. Money was raised for, actually, Peter Torque's charity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's because I love the monkeys. If you can see where my hand is now, Mark, my, I'm at the top of my ceiling with the Beatles. <laughs> the monkeys are just, just under it. <laughs> and then everybody else is towards the floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So those two, those two for me, no. you know, through the years I've loved Yellow, I've loved Raspberries, I've loved uh, Prince, Bad Finger, I can go on, you know, Four Seasons, The Supremes, I go on and on of, you know, bands that I've loved through the years, The Beach Boys, Dave Clark Five, but The Beatles and The Monkees, yeah. above all, Heads, Tails, they're, they're, they're my favorites.
0: Yeah. So did you uh, catch them right as they started on TV or how did you first hear about them?
2: oh yeah yeah it was a dilemma in those days because they were on batman was on the monsters were on the adam's family it was the greatest time to be growing up yeah. but i think there were conflicting shows when the monkeys were on i can't remember if it was well, yeah adam's the first season was gilligan's
0: gilligan's island was on the other station on the first oh season. right right yeah. right so then you know being you know being a little kid and, <laughs> and having all those shows and no tivo out there folks <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: Right, you had to watch it or pray that it would show again in reruns because right. there was no TiVo, there was no VCRs. Yeah, you know, you you, you got you either caught it or didn't. And yeah. and your Bible at that time was TV Guide. Right, right. It was the most important <laughs> important piece of literature in
1: in, in one's existence.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, if somebody put it on Facebook, this is a little aside. You know, they said, yeah. Uh, uh, do you think you were born in the wrong year to me? It, well to, just uh-huh. in gen- and people were saying, you know, I wish I was born in the 90s and I was like, oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you know, I thought, you know, okay, I was born in 66 at the very tail end of the year. Um, in uh-huh. fact, the day I was born, I'll tell you, the uh, Beatles were working on Strawberry Fields Forever and I believe the Monkees were working on Daydream Believer on those on wow. December Wow. 15- December 15, 1966, if I remember my facts correctly. I could be off on the songs on both, but they were both in the studio that day. And it's like, I go, they were already underway, they were already making hits. It's like, you know, just one day if I was born like in... 10 years earlier, just so I could you know, see a lot, you know, yeah. and, and I think you know this guy, Jerry Beck, he's a big animation historian, of course. you know, he, he's, sure. like, he's like the guy I wanted to be, you know, it's like he's exactly 10 years older than me, and he says, oh. oh yeah, I went to this convention, and I did this show, and I caught everything on TV, and blah, 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 and it's like, ah, you know, you know, so, it's... Jerry, Jerry provided... Films for our
2: earliest monkeys conventions. Yeah, Jerry, yeah. Beck was great. Yep. Um, yeah, it was a great, was a great time yeah, to grow so. up, and a very, I wouldn't have had any other way. <laughs> and what was interesting about our generation, though, is we kind of knew everything about the generations before us. We knew Elvis, yeah. and we knew Dion, but we also knew Sinatra. We knew so much of right. that, you know, World War II on. And I think uh, it's sad that generations uh, currently may not. You know i i love when you know the kids come to the conventions and they know all the things about the beatles or the monkeys yeah. and and, I, and and it's not just now second generation fans and kids yeah. of you know parents who it's it's third generation it's grandkids when i do the beetle tours to liverpool i got grandparents bringing their grandchildren on yeah. these tours and thank goodness you know they're, they're keeping that alive yeah. Um, but I guess everyone's generation is their favorite. you know the people yeah. who who' you know going to junior high school in in the eighties. Are gonna love you know the hair bands and whatever was ha- happening then, yes. and the people of today I'm sure unfortunately are gonna love the hip hop and all whatever they're listening to today, and that's fine you know my daughter you know at one point said you know dad come on of course Miley Cyrus is bigger than the Beatles, <laughs> and, and I wanted I wanted to kick her out of the house you know?
1: <laughs> but
2: but you know then 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 you know years later. Eleanor Rigby came on, and she's singing every word. And I'm like, yeah. well, you, you, you would never listen to this. it's not Dad, I was just teasing you in those days. Yeah. You know, nothing's better than the Beatles. So
1: yeah. I
2: did. I, I raised them right. I'm so happy. The, be- <laughs> the kids were all raised on Beatles, Monkeys uh, Four Seasons, Beach Boys, and you know, now they're so, now they're you know always listening and hearing solo stuff they didn't hear, and they're so, so I'm so, so happy
0: so, for so, them. So no Billy Eilish convention for you in any time soon. <laughs> not anytime soon
2: you know growing up people would say what's your favorite song of all time and, and, and this was 70s and 80s and they would think i was going to say strawberry fields or who knows what beatles song and i would say daydream believer
0: yeah
2: and it, it, it would stop them in their tracks
0: yeah
1: but
2: uh, but you know what I, I put my money where my mouth when i got married my first dance was uh... I will love you forever, Davy Jones, from if you know it from the Justice album. And then my second song was Here There and Everywhere by the Beatles.
1: Mm. (laughs) So
2: you know, couldn't leave out a Beatles song because that was my favorite. I always say growing up, if I ever get married, that would be my song. But because I proposed to my wife at a Davy Jones concert, (laughs) and he asked and he asked her to marry me on my behalf, and then he played that song. That had to be our wedding
0: song, so
1: that's
2: a little great story to share with you.
0: Um, let's see. I, I was gonna say something about the monkeys. You probably don't know all my monkeys story, but see, I consider myself a first generation monkeys fan. But they say, well, you weren't there when they debuted in '66, blah, 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 and it's like, okay, fine, you know, because I mean, a generation is 20 years, isn't it? You know, so it's yeah, like, yeah, you know, okay. but they, you know, they so go now. It's like it's like 12th right? generation fan, you know. It's like so I'm considered second generation because I didn't hear about them until they were on Saturday mornings. It's like, well, you know. X me, you know, because I wasn't born early enough. You know? It's like, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's like, but I, I will say my monkey story because you're probably not familiar with it. Is that I didn't like it when I saw it on TV on Saturday mornings. Uh-huh. It's like I like cartoons better. I hate to say so. Having live yeah. action men jumping around and acting like fools as a little three and four and five year old, I was like, I don't get it. I don't like it. But I did like the theme song, uh so I would watch the theme song on Saturday mornings and I'd see him you know romping around and everything like that and as soon as the show started, I'd switch the channel or turn off the TV <laughs> now monkeys fans will probably say sacrilege, sacrilege, and it's like. Well, at least I like the theme song. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but I will tell you this. Since, you know, I was probably younger than you when Monkeys debuted. Uh, when I saw it on a Saturday morning, it freaked me out when they are pushing uh, Peter around in the bathtub that really freaked me out as kid. i was like what is that you know because a lot of they were pushing him around bed, yeah that freaked around. me out too it's like that's wrong you can't do that you know it's like he's out in public naked and this is even before streaking and so i'm like no you know and so the show freaked me out so i couldn't watch it for years oh, that's so funny <laughs> I never heard that story. I yeah, so, I mean, it's like, so... I guess, I
2: guess if you're a little older, all that irreverence and the fact that they're pushing a bed down a, a busy street, you know, that's, oh, my God, they're anti-establishment.
0: That's Yeah, cool. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, so, I, I, you know, but I heard the music on the radio, but it didn't go, ooh, monkeys, i got to hear it. it. It just was yeah. like... On the radio, you know, just in the psyche. So you know, and they only played the big hits. So you'd hear, "I'm a Believer," yeah. "Daydream Believer," and "Pleasant Valley Sunday," and the and maybe the theme song and, and Clarksville, and that's about it. You know, and it's like, I remember getting little, like, I, I got toys once that had, like, monkeys prizes and i going, eh, you know, and it's like, they're so ugly. You know? <laughs> and, and it's so during the 70s, I, I remember when Boyce and Heart, I mean, Dolan's Jones' Boyce and Heart came out, and it's was like, yeah, whatever. I, I remember that Mickey Dolan's record commercial that he did in the early 70s, which is still kind of funny. It's on YouTube if you haven't seen it in a while. And goes, yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, it's like, you know, I just said, these guys are weird. I don't like them at all. <laughs> and then what changed me on it was Nesmith when he put out elephant parts. And then wow. su- suddenly I said, oh, well, this guy has talent. I wasn't converted over to being a Monkees fan immediately. I was like, okay, Nesmith has talent. The rest of them don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and then slowly, um, it, it was like right after that, um uh I, you know, I got, I'd go to the Goodwill to pick up old records because I was dirt poor all the time, you know, so, and I wanted to you get know. things cheap anyway, I still do it, and uh, I was at a bookstore that I used to frequent all the time, and they'd have old records for a quarter apiece, and they had more of the monkeys. and I said, well, you know, uh... Uh, well, what's on this? And I saw I'm a Believer and go, well, I know that song. And it's like, I think I knew Step and Stone, And I go, well, okay, one or two tracks isn't bad. If it really sucks, I can just dump it back in the Goodwill or something like that. And then I started playing everything, and it's like, I go, this isn't bad i you know these you know and so i instantly became a monkeys fan just on the music i said i still think their tv show sucks you know but yeah. you know and i don't mean 2020 i mean this is 1981 yeah <laughs> and sure, uh, sure, yeah, yeah and uh you know but they aren't even playing it anymore so you know maybe i'll get their old albums on. so i started snapping them up and i got all of them before they even reunited except for changes so you know that was the elusive one and but i even found present <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, and, uh, you know, so I got I got all the old albums, and I said, oh, I adore them, which is why I wrote the book with Michael Ventrella, uh, because yeah. I adored the music. Um, and, you know, when the MTV thing happened, I couldn't, I didn't get MTV then, so I didn't watch any of the shows on there. Uh, and it was years, I think it, was, it wasn't until the 90s, I think I even had seen Head by that point. In fact, when I saw Head the first time, I said, Well, I like this. I don't like their T V show, but I like this you know, I was like a wow. really ass backwards monkey fan. Yeah, wow, you <laughs> and, sure are. And then you know, then I started getting into the T V shows later and I still say, uh eh, you know, and now I'm like Yeah, I I don't know if you listen to that Zilch podcast. You probably do. It's all of us do. Yeah. And uh, so I listened to them backwards, strangely enough, just because it was more convenient to listen to them that way. And the earliest episodes are talking about getting the whole series on Blu ray, which I managed to get the whole series on DVD. And now I'm like. I want the thing on Blu ray and <laughs> it's not out. Now I like the show and I'm like, <laughs> you, know, so, you know, thanks to the Zilchwad. How, how do you play them backwards?
2: You record them on
0: vinyl? No, uh, no, 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 no. Backwards. Not literally backwards. Know, not kidding, turn me I'm on, kidding, on kidding, Dead I'm Man joking. backwards. I'm no, no. Okay. I mean show 54, show 53, show 52. show. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yes, it was turn me on Dead Man, you know, the whole time. Turn me on Dead Man. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know my point of making my confessional about the monkeys, but I mean that's that's literally how I came to the monkeys. But um Beatles story is an interesting one too, and I tell that in my Beatles book. It was because of Monty Python. I was already a Python fan. And uh, I had I knew of the Beatles. I knew some of their things and everything, but I wasn't like a fan fan where it's like, Okay, I have all the records and da 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 um and then eric Idle appeared on saturday night live and i uh, and he's saying here comes the sun in this obnoxious way it's on dvd now where he goes here comes the sun here comes the sun and i say it's all right (laughs) 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 and uh then the the running gag was this is so great uh let's save it for the end of the show you know and of course he plays it on the closing credits and they cut him off and that's the joke And I said, what's the real song (laughs) sound like, you know, to my parents? And they go, "Well, we got the album. It's called Abbey Road. It shows them walking across the street on the cover. Uh, You can listen to the real song. And I go, oh, okay. And so I go over there and I plop it down. At first I look I go, ooh, an apple. That's kind of cute, you know. (laughs) And then I put it on Here Comes the Sun. I go, I've heard this. (laughs) And then so I said, what what else is on this album? I flip it over and come together. I've heard this. The next song, something I've heard this, and then I don't right. think I heard the next couple tracks. So Octopus's Garden came on. I've heard this, and I go, "That's wrong. You can't do that. You know, so you can't have so many hits on a just a regular non Greatest Hits album." That's how jaded I was about the record recording industry <laughs> that you couldn't have four hits at least on a record. <laughs> but, but i was instantly turned on i got beatles books and i started buying the other albums and i didn't know what to buy because i wasn't sure what i had heard before so you know i i generally gravitated towards the later albums if they you know because i said well if sergeant pepper stinks at least it has a neat cover if magical mystery tour stinks at least it has a, a booklet inside you know, and I'd buy it based oh. on that. <laughs> oh, boy. I, and I skipped over the yeah. White Album for the longest time because it was expensive and it was just a White Album. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's my yeah, favorite. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> that's but crazy. Anyway, wow. so there's my stories for you. <laughs> no, it's just great memories and it's, it's just amazing how you
2: know certain people uh, instantly hooked others. Discovered it different ways,
1: and yeah. you know. Some, some through siblings, yeah. and uh, it just as long as the music lives thats the most important thing.
2: You know, the visuals could be forgotten. We did a drive-in um, movie this past Saturday night uh, at, at a local town in Connecticut, and mm-hmm. we showed *A Hard Day's Night*. And it sold out. And it was just, you know, I've seen it a thousand times, but seeing it on a big screen with amazing yeah. sound and watching my kids and pointing out—it it was a great experience. And you know, to me movies it wouldn't matter if there was no TV show it wouldn't matter because it's all about eventually or Bottom line, it's all about the music. People would interview me, "Why the Beatles? Why are you doing conventions and tours in a magazine?" Blah blah. blah. And I would say, "Oh, it's the three M's." That was my pat um, standard answer. It's the three M's. It's the the memories, mm-hmm. the nostalgia factor for people who lived through it or might have, you know, you know, had memories of it through older parents or or siblings or whatever. The um, magic. Which is the X factor, what you can't put your finger on, but it, it's magical for you for whatever reason. Right. For the Beatles or the monkeys. I think it was personality. I think that was the X factor. There was humor there. There was you know something that transcended above everything else. But then the third M was the, the 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 most important
1: was the music. It's yeah. the above all. It's the end all. And you know when all said and done, you know
2: when civilization's over. You know, there's only whatever you have left. Uh, if people can still sing, they're going to sing Beatles songs or hopefully Monkey songs. Right. And so, no riffs that have no choruses and have no hooks and have no substance that are coming out today. It's it's forgotten. It's wasteland. But all that great music of you know of, of our youth uh, were the were the most single and the most happy, and they all had um, great pop hooks.
0: Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you'd think, oh, you know, it would just be generally people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s like this. Younger folks, they don't want to see or hear this, you know, and it's like, no, you find little kids they're like yeah that's up for me. <laughs> you know and yeah. it's like how do they like right. this I mean the man's eighty years old you know why would they like this you know and it's yeah, like ob- yeah you know. that's the obvious choice
2: though right because Yellow Submarine is it's so cartoonish and it's such a great kids song that yeah. you know, when, when when my kids were growing up I, I did at first I started with a non-Beatles um, disc and then a Beatles disc and the non-Beatles disc was like Puff the Magic Dragon Mm. and Chewy Chewy and Arch, you know, uh, uh, Sugar Sugar, Yummy Yummy, it was bubblegum music and stuff that I knew they would like, easy to sing along to. And then the first Beatles album I put together was especially for them and yeah, it had Yellow Sub and Octopus's Garden, but Please Mr. Postman and All Together Now, things that I thought were Kid
0: friendly, yeah, and they got past that so
2: quickly. And they were on to you know Bungalow Bill, and they were on to really you know great revolution
0: stuff. number nine, um, man. <laughs>
2: Come on, dad. I kept, <laughs> I, I, I kept that from them.
0: <laughs> they got mad
2: at me for not teaching them, um, you know, my name, look up my number.
0: Hey, and dad, love that you, you become naked, dad. No, what? what? <laughs> you naked. That scared me the first time I heard that. I
2: played it alone, and it was just the voices, and, the, and it was that was scary to me. Yeah. And nothing scared me, you know, growing up. That
0: scared me. You know, I, I've, I've said in recent times. I don't think I've written it down anywhere, but I, I've kind of concluded that the White Album is truly a concept album, unlike Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Sgt. Yeah. Sergeant Pepper yeah. is kind of a constructed one, but if you look at the White Album, it's like it starts out, you know, kind of bombastically and it kind of ventures into like the animals and you know animal characters and everything. It's like it's going on with what's going on in society and then, uh, like, then a war breaks out and that's revolution number nine, you know, or at least the fourth side. And then finally everything uh, gets peaceful and you have, that's it, good night. (laughs) It's kind of like the lifespan of a person or or a society or something. I don't know, you know, and I don't think that was their intention at all, but, you know. (laughs) Right. You know, right. and this is, of course, after and, listening and, and, to it a thousand times, it's not like I came up with it the first time I heard it, you know. <laughs> you know.
2: And, and I always wonder how much I really absorbed listening to it, you know, <laughs> and, and, and and grasping hmm. things at the time, yeah. because it was a revelation to me later on that Ringo sang Good Night. Yeah. I just assumed, oh, it's so pretty, it's got to be, you know, Paul. And then to, <laughs> to understand, wait, 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 it's not Paul? It's yeah. Ringo. Of course it's Ringo. Of course. Yeah. And, you know, I just, stuff like that would always, you know, even now I try to find stuff that I never hear in the stuff, like a little, a little cling that I, oh, wait, I didn't hear that. Or a little, um, mistake or a vocal over a vocal. You know, it feels so right. What's the next word?
0: Uh, so. And hold me tight. So. <laughs>
2: oh, or, oh, is it? Is it really, Mark?
0: Uh.
2: Or is it and? Or is it now? <laughs> it feels so right now hold me tight it feels so right and it oh. feels so right so you'll listen carefully yeah. and you hear different vocals doing different things on oh, okay. different tracks of that yeah. so i love i love throwing that out because that's one of those things that whoa yeah. i only discovered that you know maybe 10 years ago so yeah.
0: it's, for, for me i could I, in my earliest days of listening to the beatles i i couldn't tell paul's and george's voice apart Wow, that's interesting, yeah, my kids always had trouble with those two also. And then, what changed it for me is when I listened to Do You Want to Know a Secret, and uh, Mm -hmm. I go, that's George, because he says, ear funny. (laughs) he goes yeah "Yeah." and i go paul doesn't because paul tries to sound more american than george was at the time you know and it's like and then later it was like whoever wrote it probably sang it you know and stuff like that and it's like okay you know and now i have no problem telling it at all but you know i remember in my earliest days i was like who's singing this and it's like you know and i wouldn't look at who wrote it i just was like trying to figure out who sang it and i thought paul sang yeah. everything even the lennon stuff it was just kind of a psychological right. thing you know you know it's like paul's the most famous one you know so he's obviously the singer you know it's like that's oh, funny. <laughs> um that's did, now did you buy all the records as they came out or how, on both groups on monkeys and i Monquee, I, I,
1: have,
0: I i did i
2: i have one little uh, funny anecdote about that is I would go, uh, I lived in the Bronx, and we'd either go to Alexander's or Corvette's,
1: mm-hmm. which
2: were like Macy's or Cole's nowadays, I guess, Caldor, Bradley's, those type of places. And we would go, uh and we'd go, and, and, and you know, mom would say, sure. You for a holiday or your birthday, let's wait and we'll get it for you. Or let's wait until it's on sale. Because so it's probably normally three seventy-nine, and
1: mm-hmm. When they had it
2: on sale, it would probably be $1.99. But anyway, I remember going to one of those places. I want to say it was Corvettes, but it might have been Alexander's. And we went to the record department, and looked around, and the only
1: album I was missing was their third album, Something New. Mm. And um, up, up at that time, I
2: think uh, Mystery Tour had just come out. Mm. And so we go to the head of the department, and, you know, you call somebody over to a section and they had record sections in these in these mm-hmm. department stores. Right. And I, and my mom said, uh, yeah, he'd like to buy um, something new by the Beatles. And they handed um, Magical Mystery Tour. <laughs> I
0: said,
2: no, 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 I want something new. <laughs> and they go, This is something new, sir. You know, or son or kids. Or Brad or Punk. And I uh, am saying, Ma, this isn't I want the album something new and she's yelling at me, Well, they're telling you this is what's new. I go, I don't want the newest album, I want that. and it was like an Abbott and Costello was on first. So we back and forth and they got the manager of the store to come over and he said, well, let's, we'll check our inventory. And he comes out with one sealed capital, something new, um, Beatles 65. He came out with three albums. And sure enough, something new was in there. Yep. And, uh, and, and they go, yeah, this is on sale along with the Magical Mystery Tour one. So she bought them both. <laughs> and that was my funniest because I think I had been up to date. With getting albums as they came out, except for some reason, I get maybe I got a Hard Day's Night yeah. in place of something new or something. So that was the only one I had a guy in time. But yeah, I got Monkeys straight up through Changes Present, yeah. and Present yeah. and all the Cold Gems Monkey albums. It was I would I, religiously I would get Beatles, Monkeys, and for some reason Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. <laughs> those were the those are the three I never wow. missed an album
0: on. So you weren't a Stones fan per se, or did you get their stuff too?
1: Was it who?
0: A Stones fan. You weren't the Rolling Stones fan, too. Nah,
1: yeah. no. and, I, yeah.
2: and I remembered, you know, listening and loving uh, Satisfaction on Jukebox. But for some reason, they were always the antithesis of the Beatles to me. You know, <laughs> the Beatles were, yeah. you know, the good guys. Because I noticed that you
0: haven't were mentioned them at all, so that's, that's why I was kind of curious. I didn't mention them at <laughs> yeah, all, yeah. and I respect them. Yeah.
2: Mark, I love them. I do now. Yeah. I did a, a, a Rolling Stones weekend in Wildwood, New Jersey, one weekend. Yeah. I did two Rolling Stone tours where, where uh, Rolling Stone fans, we went to all the sites in England.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I was in the movie, believe it or not, the Mars Martin Scorsese movie, Shine a Light. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an extra in it. And if you watch it to the end when they get off the stage at the beacon, I'm in the scene where I put um, a robe on Ron Wood as he walks oh. away. Okay. Um, so yeah, I I I am a Stones fan. It took me many years though so, to appreciate them.
0: <laughs> you're kind of like Stony me with Awards. the the monkeys, you know, but with the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I became the Stones fan yeah. like right away. As soon as you know, I, as soon as I became a Beatles fan, I was like. What who else is from the sixties is still around? I go, Oh, the Rolling Stones I became a fan of them, the Kinks. I found out about the Who, you know, and it's like, Oh, these guys are still around, unlike those stupid Beatles that broke up You know <laughs> I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you my best own story, real quick. Okay. Um, uh, it was
2: uh, a night I was homesick. I remember I had the. I was really, really. I didn't want to leave the bed, and I had tickets to see Ringo Starr in um, New York somewhere. Bethel was. I don't remember where it was. Yeah. And I, I was. God, how sick I was! I was not going to see Ringo, <laughs> and I got a call from a Connecticut promoter. He, he is like a, the Billy Graham. Bill Graham presents of Connecticut. <laughs> Jim Copp.
1: Jim calls <laughs>
2: and, and says, "And says, Charles, uh, I need you to meet me at Toad's place." At a, at a quarter to seven. Mm. This is six o'clock. I've just got my pajamas. I've just gone in bed. I've just taken my aspirin. I'm just no way am I leaving. He goes, Charles, you you are. I don't care mm. if you're on your deathbed. You're meeting me at a quarter to seven. Oh, geez. I go, yeah, I can't. I, what what is, what's this about? And now he, I think he felt that he was a he was a friend, but I think he felt he owed me a favor because. He was trying to get Paul McCartney to play the Yale Bowl. The town selectmen didn't want him. We met, you know, we had fights, blah, blah, blah. I stood up. I supported him. I brought Beatles fans there to try to make it happen. It never happened, but we were friends from that point on. He said, you got to be there. Well, you can probably guess. I did get out of bed. I met him there. Uh, he walked in. He goes, go to the front of the stage. There's people lined up literally for not one block, but 17 blocks, because they caught wind of the fact that the Rolling Stones were doing their only private club show (laughs) as a prelude to their tour. Right. (laughs) And uh, so I got to see them up close, and this was the second time I saw them. The first time I was in high school, and this kid, Mark Katz, came to school, and he was this new hotshot in school. It was in high school, I think, or junior high. (laughs) And um, he said, my dad is uh, has a president's box at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and he told all the cool kids, which was me and one other, uh, that if I ever want to see a show there or go to see the Knicks or the Rangers, I could go with him. That he'll get me into the, you know, into this president's box, which they just started having these, you know, fancy VIP boxes. And... Um, uh and my friend said, oh, great, we'll all go to see the Knicks or something. And I heard that the Stones were coming. Hmm. So I said, I want to come see the Stones, man. Take me to see them. And Billy Preston opened. And it was an amazing tour. And uh, I knew most of the songs. And it was a great experience because we watched it from, you know, the VIP Lounge box. Wow. And then about a
0: month or two later, I hear that Paul McCartney's coming to. Oh, so you're talking Medicine 75, school. 76. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then I'd never been, you know, to concerts outside
2: of New York, outside of Connecticut. By then I was living in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. I said, Mark, Mark, Paul McCartney and Wings are doing their Wings Over the World concert. They're coming to New York i gotta i gotta go with you you gotta take me <laughs> said i'm sorry i told you i would take you to one show and you used it for the stones oh, <laughs> oh right so i i never saw, I never saw wings in,
0: in during that time ever Oh, okay i thought you might have bought a ticket at least uh, okay <laughs> i did it i did, it. My oh, did parents, it wasn't that i was still a kid oh did you see george um, in 74 or no just got curious. I did not, okay. no. Okay, I'm just curious. No. Nope, <laughs> I mean, I the first time I, I saw did. any of them was McCartney and Ringo, both in 89. So, it's like, you know, it was late, yeah. late, late, for me, you know. But, of course, they didn't tour all during the 80s for obvious reasons, so, you know. Right. <laughs> and I almost, well, almost flew to Japan to see George and I chickened out the last minute. <laughs> I was like... Was, was,
2: was that with me, with my group?
0: uh what i was, was just gonna go independently run? no i was just gonna f- buy a ticket to japan and uh, you know but i chickened out i said i've never been to japan before i'm going by myself i'll probably get mugged or oh. something and so I, oh, and i didn't even think no. about your stuff or anything and so and i said he's got to tour america because when mccartney went on tour i flew to yeah. l.a because I didn't think he was going to come to the San Francisco Bay Area. Right. Now he eventually sure. did, but he didn't. So I thought, man, if I don't see him in L.A., I'll never see him, and he's probably never going to tour again. He'll probably hate it. You know, right. I just had this impression right. because George hated his '74 uh, tour, and uh, and uh, Paul hadn't toured in the U.S. since '76. So I said, wow. He, this is probably the last time I'll see him <laughs> you know I saw him yeah, about five yeah, times yeah. so you know anyway <laughs> but you know yeah with, so. with with George
2: you know um we were able to get i was got in touch with the producer there because I'd been to Japan a few times yeah. had a Japanese girlfriend which was mm. great um I had managed a band that toured japan mm-hmm. and then i i brought over some american um record dealers for an international record convention so i've been to japan a bunch of times and i was really tight with you know all the Beatle uh, fan clubs there, the Beatles Museum, the promoters who mm. was still doing Good Day Sunshine, still doing convention. That's hot and heavy time, don't forget. You know, mm. late eighties, early nineties, right. and they announced George is doing these shows, three concerts. And I contacted the promoter and I said I'd like to bring over a group. Yeah. And he goes, I don't, want to, I don't think I can get your front row seats. I go, I don't care. You know, get yeah. us good seats. Get us. one night we were in the back, one night we were in the middle, one night we were close to the front. Yeah. So we got to see three shows.
1: Yeah. We got wow. to go
2: to the, the. There's a cavern club in. Japan, we got to see the Beatles tribute bands in the cavern. We went to the Budokan where the Beatles played. We went to the Beatles museum. We did, it was a one week Beatle tour. I was only allowed to bring 40 people. It sold out quickly. We did it through Good Day Sunshine. It was mostly people who um, had been on my, you know, regular Liverpool Beatle tours before. And Mark, I gotta tell you, everyone who went on that, it was the time of their lives. Obviously they got to see George three times. Most of them got to meet Olivia. On the way home, you're doing this interview sitting down, right, Mark?
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: on the on the way on the way home, we're at the airport, and my my Tamoya, my Japanese girlfriend, goes George, yes, yes, George, yes. George. She's starting to scream and hyperventilate. I go, Are you okay? What's the matter? And I don't understand her Japanese. No, she, she's saying George, and she's pointing to the walkway where George and his family are coming up, right next oh, to geez. where we're checking in at the gate. Yeah. And, and we're at the, and we're at Narita Airport, and George is there, and we're there, and we're taking pictures. And uh, can we take a picture, George? Can we take a picture? He goes, well, you can take the picture, but I'm not going to stop. And he does stop. He like walks like in a cartoon where you're walking in place. So his feet, so his feet are doing the walking, but he's but he's staying long enough for us to take pictures. Aww. And we're like, I'm looking around, as we're chatt- you know, I'm looking around my group, and there's Eddie Veltman from, from uh, Chicago, mm-hmm. and his mouth is wide open. And mm-hmm. he brought his wife along, and she wasn't the biggest fan, she's jumping up and down. I look at this other person, Barb Marks, and she's ready to yeah. faint. Another person, tears are just pouring from their eyes. Wow. And I'm looking around at all my people, and this is like, wow, you know, what greater joy than to have made such a thing happen. Well, half our group went down to the VIP lounge, Mm-hmm. and half of them did whatever they did at the airport and George was in the VIP lounge so people got his autograph they had they had two pictures they got um ticket stuff signed now there were three girls on this same tour who only came because they were Clapton fans <laughs> yeah they loved
1: George but yep. they were
2: from LA they were the hugest Clapton fans yep. um they did not get to meet Clapton on this tour unfortunately I I did I was backstage with Not with George, I wish I was, but I was backstage with Clapton. He was getting a Sumerai sword demonstration. (laughs) And I was there when that was going on. Hmm. I wish I was taking, I wish we had cell phones in those days. I would have taken so many pictures. (laughs) But anyway, so as fate would have it, this is the utmost serendipitous Kismet Bashert (laughs) moment. These three gals who loved Clapton, the rest of us went to New York. They were going to LA, they were on the same plane as
0: Clapton oh wow <laughs> who would believe it so oh, wow. he was upstairs they had two levels of the 747
2: or whatever flight that was uh going from japan to uh, london and they uh went up there and hung out with him and got his photos and took pictures wow. and autographs cool. and so that was you know really amazing so i wish you knew and you could have joined
0: us and you got know i probably knew japan about it because teach. i was a subscriber it just didn't occur to me that oh i should just do it yeah. through, through Roseney's thing here you know it's like sure, you know sure, it sure. just thought about you know, or because I don't even know if it was sold out. You said you only had 40 seats. It may or may not have been, but I didn't even try. It didn't even occur to me. I was like, ooh, that was dumb. Right. You know, because, well, right. I didn't go to concerts like that. You know, it's like, you right. know, for me, sure. it's like, You know, I was living in the Bay Area, you know, it's like, oh, the Who are going to be at the Oakland Coliseum. All right, buy a ticket, I go. You know, it's like, I don't think about it, you know. It's like, uh, you know, and suddenly I'm like buying tickets to L.A., which was a chore, you know. But I saw it, and I like that. I'm glad I did that show in retrospect, because Stevie Wonder came on stage, and he and McCartney sang Ebony and Ivory as an encore, so that was cool. And then, uh, but but the George Harrison thing, I, I, you know, I was like, my fingers are touching this close to doing it and i just chickened out the last minute i said he's got a to tour l.a after this because i mean not l.a i mean united states after this because you know he'll enjoy the tour he's not hoarse and you know he he put out a good album and you know he's gotta want to do it you know and i think he only did like a a show in england after that or maybe he one did other one US... show at royal albert hall yeah you know? something like that I like, Yeah. Wow we thought we thought so
2: too we thought he'd come to the States just like we never thought McCartney would ever tour yeah. and then you know in 89 you know he finally tours and we you, we had to fly out to Manchester we brought a group that's when I the first time I ever met him we mm-hmm. brought it um, out to the uh, NEC in Manchester thinking that um, we, he would never tour again
1: and we had to fly out to England to see him right. and then when he toured then he toured the States oh gotta go because he may never tour again yeah. you never know
2: you never yeah. know if someone loves uh, their band uh, or there's a band, you know, of that kind of elk. You know, I only saw The the, the Who, a friend of mine, uh, Vinnie from New York, got tickets to see them at, um, they did a private show at Mohegan Sun Casino, which is about an hour from me here in Connecticut. Yeah. And, um, for some reason, I just never saw The Who, you know, one of those things. And you know how Facebook, you put a list sometimes, I've seen these 15 bands, which do you think I haven't seen? Yeah, and every, absolutely. you know, if I would put The Who on there, everyone would never guess it. They would think, of course, he's seen McCartney, he's seen The Monkey, he's seen The Who, but yeah. I had it. And it's just one of those things, they were phenomenal. And, and you know, sure, I wish I saw them with Keith Moon
1: yeah. or John
2: Entwistle, but they were great. And, they, and they, it was amazing. And it's the same reason, if you can see Mickey and Mike, go see them, you know, yeah. it's just History and you don't know if you're going to ever see them in the future. If you can see an act, you know that's that's mm-hmm. part of your youth, that's part of your life, that's the soundtrack of your life. You know, go see them. It, yeah, it, it, it'll never disappoint. You know, you'll walk out and you'll you'll be happy you did. And if they come back again, great, you'll see them again. But if yeah. they don't, my gosh, you know, this yeah. is this is your opportunity. Well, if you... I leave, if I leave this show with anything that a listener should think about, it's that if they have the opportunity to see.
1: Right.
0: They're
2: heroes, you know, to, to definitely go do
0: it. Yeah. Well, I did see the Monkeys. I saw them in 87. I figured 86 was chaos, and so I didn't want to for some dumb reason. And then in 87, yeah. I saw them with Weird Al as the opening act. And I've seen Weird right. Al many times since, and I've seen the Monkeys many times since. But uh, I saw the Mickey Davy Peter version three times, I think, and didn't see him on the last go around in 2011, which I kind of regret. But uh strangely enough on 2012 i saw every monkey separately <laughs> oh wow you know because uh i went to the autograph show in la and that was the one where davy jones was there two weeks before he passed away and yes. I- i've said this story many times i said man if you had a bet going on of who would die in this room at the end of the month i could tell you nobody would bet on davy jones you know, Never. because they had, uh, Martin Lando, who was 88 or something at the time in very bad health. They had, uh, Carla Lemley, who was 105. And wow. they both outlived Davy by a couple years, I think, you know, oh, and it's like, such a shock. Geez. He was in great shape. Yeah. He was there and, and, you know, I got his autograph. Uh, you know, I talked to him, I took some pictures, blah, 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 you know, and it's like, and, you know, I didn't think, it didn't even occur to me, this will be the last time I see him, ever, you know, it's like, and then yeah. two weeks later, he's gone, and then uh, uh, they did another autograph show, and this time it was Mickey, I'd met Mickey before, but, I, you know, I was in, like, what you're saying, don't turn down an opportunity, so we went back, and, you know, I saw Mickey, and then I saw Mickey, Davy, and uh, Mike, excuse me, Mickey, Peter, and Mike, in, you know, in the fall, which I never thought would happen, I uh, never thought that would happen. Yeah. Right. And so I saw them and then Peter did a quickie solo tour, we went to see him and then Mike did a solo tour and we went to see him. So in 2012-2013 wow. in that like one year time frame, we I saw all of them together or separately, you know, in some Configuration and so I'm like, wow. Yeah. So I'll throw, I'll throw, I'll throw two Davy stories at you. Right. Uh, the, the the one I mentioned earlier was is the utmost
2: because you know having him propose you know on my behalf to, to my wife was was un- unbelievable. Right. But um uh, uh you know so we have been friends for a few years and when he um when he um oh I'm losing it. We played softball and a few things. Mm-hmm. So he he was touring. Uh, and doing shows and he was doing conventions, and he was all over. Um, but he hadn't been playing a lot a while, for, except solo shows. And Jerry Renino was a guy who was his music director, mm-hmm. and we were friends as well. And I thought, well, I'm having a Beatles convention, and I—is this crazy to have? Navy at a Beatles convention, and this event was really special, we had a lot of the people from the BBC, um, Brian Matthews, Bernie Andrews, Shirley Jones, all the people who were either the hosts or the producers or the backstage people of all the BBC Beatles stuff, and that was great for a purist, but I didn't have that one person, that one name that would attract a general public. I thought, let me go out on a limb, let me get Davey. they just done the, the, the commercial with Ringo, um, oh, the, the, pizza, the hut? pizza Hut. Yeah, yeah the monkeys. So there's that tie-in. There's the tie-in. I felt in those days you had to have a tie-in. And I thought, okay, well, the other tie-in is, of course, Davey's on uh, the Ed Sullivan show, the first Ed Sullivan show. My God, this is a great connection. So we book him. We book him to do a concert at my convention. We book him to do uh, the interview and to do a signing. Hmm. So early in the day, he does the signing. And my gosh, that he signs for hours. He's supposed mm. to do it for one hour, yeah. and he stays for four hours. He was mm. unbelievable. Mm. And then um, he does the interview, and Fred Velez, a fa- famous oh, monkey yeah. friend of mine, mm-hmm. I, I bring in Fred to do the interview with Davey. I bring him on stage. We're supposed to show the Ed Sullivan appearance, but someone steals the video. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we panic, and we show the Pizza Hut commercial on the <laughs> intro. And Davey, Davey does the most rockin' set of, you know, monkey stuff, his stuff, and he throws in a great Beatles medley right in the middle. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, wow, I thought, wow, that was genius, number one. Number two, I didn't know he knew this stuff, so it was great. Come to find out, you know, you know big Beatles fan. Yeah. Every chance he'd get, he would sing Beatles stuff. Um, but he, he made it, he validated me having him as a guest at a convention. <laughs> and he was great and everyone loved him mm-hmm. and a few years back a few years after that he played a show with the it was either him and Mickey or him Mickey and Peter I just want to say him and Mickey but I remember it was at a theater and you know they walk through the aisle at the end and you you know meet and greet you never mm-hmm. got an autograph you didn't get to take pictures you just quick shake hands yeah. um, and they walk through and they shook my hand and, and Mickey blah, 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 and they went to the and I look at my friend I go I guess he doesn't remember me uh, I should have said don't you remember me? I'm Charles Roseney. I should have said that. I'm thinking. And he stops. He's on his way to the green room. He stops. And he turns around. And he goes, Roseney. <laughs> I look up. I heard your mom is sick. Is everything all right? <laughs> you could have picked... Mark, you could have picked me off the floor. <laughs> that was Davy. Oh, you know, wow, he wow. would... He, he, it would click, it would yeah. click, and he, he loved his fans, and he was so great with fans, mm-hmm. and for, for the fact that, you know, I consider him a friend, and I thought he forgot me, I thought I was so disappointed, and I wasn't going to say my name, because I, oh, don't you remember me, Davey, I'm Charles, <laughs> you know, Mickey remembered, Peter remembered, and he just kind of walked by, and he was in his own, and he stopped in his tracks and said that, and I was just, you know, from from then on, I just, you know, we wow. had just great relationships, and mm-hmm. brings back such wonderful
0: memories. Cool seems like everybody has good memories with them it's like is there a bad monkey story out there it's like mike was a dick you know no, just kidding you'll get you'll get some
2: you'll get somewhere peter peter so years later peter was a guest at my beatles expo i think it was 2009 or 2010 and i called him and said you know i want you to come you know charles you know, it was one of those Charles, because he, he used to, whenever I asked him to do something, he would do. He, was great, he was great about that. Yeah, I can, I,
0: I I can Charles, hear him doing that, saying that. <laughs> and he, he
2: said, you know, What's little, me? What do I got to do with Beatles? Okay, I'm sure you'll think of something. <laughs> and of course, there was every possible connection. And yeah. he came, and we were talking about great guests. Uh, we also had Spanky McFarlane from. Oh, yeah. She was Mamas and the Papas and Spankin' Our Gang. Yeah. We had a bunch of Gene Cornish from the Rascals, Denny mm-hmm. Lane. We just happened to have, we called call it Beat Expo. Mm-hmm. So I didn't pigeon myself into a Beatles convention. But it was, you know, a lot of my friends came who were rockers. And, and they came <laughs> and they jammed. And Peter just jumped on the mm-hmm. stage. Couldn't wait to play with the Beatles band. Couldn't wait to play with um, Spanky. Did his own set of music that the Beatles band backed him up. He was a great guest. So for me, I, I mean, I felt... Oh. I heaven and earth I would go for all the things he did for me. Prior to the convention, we went on TV stations and he helped me promote. He would come as a guest Hmm. to the TV things and him and I would do these TV bits to promote the convention. So God bless him. But a few times at that you know, he wasn't paying attention or he was eating and someone took a picture and he would give him a dirty look like, you couldn't ask me, you couldn't wait. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he would, I, I he, once in a while, he would be a snip. You know, he would find, you know, that, that someone got him at the wrong, like he finished signing yeah. autographs up to the, going up to the elevator. Someone said, can I get an autograph? And he would say, well, you just had two hours to do that downstairs. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, he would, he, you'd get that once in a blue moon from him. Yeah. But, um, but you're, you're right. In general, they were, yeah. you know, more than any other act. They yeah. were amazing with their fans.
1: Yeah. And, it, and to
2: this day, Mickey and Mike, you know, with, with the monkey meet and greets through Jody Ritson and all that, it's still
0: the case, you know, yeah. they're still I mean, available. The, the worst you could say about Michael Nesmith over the years, and it's not the way now, is just he was kind of aloof. But I think I think he was aloof. For, I think for Michael Nesmith he never understood it until probably the last ten years. You know, <laughs> you know? I think
2: I think a combination of after he got sick. Yeah. Or after he got on the stage again with the guys. Yeah. You know, to this day, I don't know if it was a conflict. Because we know, he'll, he admits that him and Peter did not get along. Yeah. They didn't see eye to eye. They weren't, didn't consider, they consider themselves brothers, but not best friends. Yeah. Um, whereas Mickey and Davey, they had their differences, but they're always best friends. You know, the, yeah. the if you cut any of the... Peter, Mickey, or Davy—they would bleed monkey blood. I always say, you know, Derek yeah. Jeter—he bleeds Yankee pinstripes. Those right. three monkeys—and I never would say that about Mike. He resisted touring. Did he resist touring? This is a hypothetical, a, a, a theoretical. It's not a real question. You can answer. I can't answer. Yeah. Because of Davy. Was yeah. he did not want to share a stage with Davy? I don't know. But when Davy passed all of a sudden he's a monkey again. Yeah. Great, thank God, because he carried the torch. You know, at first yeah. I was upset at that, you know, when yeah. all those years they could have toured the four of them and yeah. Mickey was and Mike was the holdout. It bothered me for many years yeah. and he seemed aloof, you use the perfect word. But he changed, and he's and he's so be- such yeah. a beautiful. He's like your uncle now. Yeah. And I met him, and I I, I said, "Can I hug you, please?" <laughs> he said, "Of course, yeah. of course." Well, the and the, the
0: positive had... thing I could say about Michael pr- pre davy's death is that I think he gave it a a, a good. Uh, what's the word? If you give something a, a college try or something, what's the cliche? You know, it's like you know. He, they got together in the '90s. They did an album. They did a tour in England, and then you know they uh, did a TV special. So, yeah. At least they, you know, he said, "I'll, I'll try," you know, and he made the amends yeah. that way. Now maybe that yeah. was the seed that was like, "Oh, I can't work with this person ever again." We'll never know. We'll I never mean, know, you know, right. he'll never, we'll never admit know. to that, you know. But it's like, yeah, yeah. you know. I, you know, I at least say, at least Nesmith Smith was game to show up because he's not like um Who's uh, John Fogarty, you know, who will never, like, be in the same room with the other guys of Credence or something sure, like that, sure. you know? And it's like, yeah, so, uh, yeah. you know, you have to give it that to Nesmith. And, and Nesmith was, you know, busy with PBS and busy with, you know, uh, Pacific Arts Video and all the other stuff that he was doing, probably the Liquid Paper Corporation for a while there before it was sold. Yes, and, you know, exactly. so, you know, he was actually legitimately busy for years. He was a working man, you know, in his 40s yeah. and 50s and stuff, like, you know, you know, yeah, I am now, agreed, you, know, so, you know, so, now he's in his 70s, he can kick back and relax, it sucks that two of his bandmates had to pass away during that period of time, but, yeah. you know, it's like, and, you know, I, yeah. I would never expect them to get along 100% of the time anyway, because, you know, the way they were formed anyway, it's like, they wanted a guy that was from, Texas a country guy like him. And then they wanted a guy that was like northeast Greenwich Village type person and that's when they got Peter. Yep. And then they you know, an yep. English guy and that's why they got Davey, and then an LA guy and that's how they got Dolan's. And it's like it's amazing that they got along at all. You know,
1: <laughs> yeah. See, you know
2: what? It was magical. Maybe not Beatles magical because yeah. those were aligned by the stars. Yeah. <laughs> and here the stars were aligned by the producers. I never use that line, but it makes sense. Yeah. Um but, you know, they're both both tremendous uh, scenarios,
0: yeah. yeah. And it, it's also amazing to me, you know, it's like, you know, in those early 80s years, will the monkeys ever get back together? Will they do a McDonald's commercial? Ah, they're not worth, not, you know, and no one could have predicted that they would have gotten together what, how many times since 86, you know? Who would have believed that? You know, yeah. and it's like, you know, that they need to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just for that, you know, that they outlasted, if you count all the reunion tours, most of the groups oh that are in God. there. <laughs> you know? Don't get me started. Mark, don't get me started. You know, yes, they deserve
2: to for all the influence they did, but Mickey's is... is Can you tell me, name someone, aside from Paul McCartney or John or or the Beatles, (laughs) tell me who has had a better pop rock vocal than Mickey in history?
0: Yeah, I can't think of anybody. I mean, people say, like, they might say Robert Plant, but, you know, it's like, yeah.
2: That's not pop pop
0: rock. Yeah. that's rock that's yeah. rock yeah. you know okay. is
2: it is it, is
0: okay.
2: it is pop it, um, rock um... is it jay black i mean there's johnny maestro prior to him there's plenty of those beautiful um vocalists crooners yeah. mickey should be in because of his voice yes. mike nesmith if you listen to every one of those monkey albums yeah you're going to hear stuff that it's poco yeah. it's um the nitty gritty dirt band. Yeah. It's country rock at its best. Yeah. I didn't realize listening to you know Tapio or, or or what am I doing hanging around that those were even country songs. Yeah, yeah. To me it's rock and roll, it's pop. Right. He should be in there as a pioneer, not of videos. Yeah. Of course that too. Yeah. But of, of of pop rock. Such a such an influence.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always get mad did you, did you watch the Ken Burns country music thing? I did not. Okay, no mention whatsoever. You know, you know, but it's Graham Parsons this, Graham Parsons that, and I'm not gonna say that Parsons or Bob Dylan or anybody else who ventured into that, you know, is illegitimate. But you know, it's like, you know, if you're gonna mention yeah. somebody, mention everybody. You know, it's like as yep. influences yep. and stuff like that. But I didn't. Well. But
2: they're definitely remiss
0: in not having mentioned him. You know. Yeah, I go crazy when I hear the whole And, and You know, all, they I did think. a lot and lot, lots of coverage of Johnny Cash on that series, and it's like, okay. did, they, did they show the clip of them with the, them with the monkeys? No, but they did show him with Dylan, of course. You know, and it's like, eh, yeah, you know. <laughs> But, yeah. Uh,
2: well, I can't. I can't put down the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, the, I, if if I can end with this, okay. Because <laughs> I'm cause I'm starting to lo- lose my voice. Yeah, we um,
1: <laughs> And
2: I, I get excited. When I get excited, I, my voice changes, and I start talking <laughs> in a different way. And you got me so excited at so many parts of this chat. Oh no. That, um, anyway, <laughs> uh, Rock and
1: Roll Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is opening. Yeah. I have a friend there, uh, Terry. All these people, and I get. Uh, kind of a call um, mm-hmm. saying, hey, we're doing a video for the opening of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We've got a Credence fan. We've got a Springsteen fan, a Grateful Dead fan. We want you to represent all the Beatle fans. Can you submit something?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So I do a demo. Then they say, okay, we want you to come into a studio and do this professionally. And I put on my uh, John Lennon you know, specs. I put on a Sergeant Pepper outfit. I got my hair perfect.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I go about how the Beatles have affected me, what they've done in my life. I even mention that there's a 8 millimeter silent film of me, uh, five years old, whatever, with a ukulele, with a Beatles wig going crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. And um, they love it. And they say, okay, we're going to show it in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm. And they asked me to send
2: them the film, and I get I, I couldn't find the film, and I got it to them late, so it never made the cut. Mm. But when the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame opened, for I don't know how many years, three, five years, whatever, there was a video display on the rock and roll fans of the world, mm-hmm. and I was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as that as the Beatles guy. <laughs> and the funny funny story is uh, Jimmy Poe, who was the um, George Harrison in the L.A. Beatlemania, yeah. and then he was in the band 1964. Now I think he's in a band called Four Lads from Liverpool. Mm. One of the best Harrisons in all of Beatle uh, tribute bands. Uh, went there at one point and saw the video and was trying to shoot it on his phone and he got thrown out by security (laughs) because he wanted to to get the footage of me at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to show me because he didn't think I knew about it. So that's one of the greatest stories of being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a Beatles fan. I mean, what could be better than that?
0: That's cool. All right. Well, to save your voice, uh, and you've given me great stuff here, um, the last question I usually ask is, you know, how can people get in touch with you? And you can plug anything you want—websites, your email, uh, a tour, or I whatever you're doing. That. <laughs> sure. So the Beatle tours still go on.
2: We'll be back next year. We skipped this year because of uh, the pandemic. Um, liverpooltours.com. Again, www.liverpooltours.com or on Facebook, Liverpool Tours. Um, but I'm really proud that after all these years, I'm putting out a book. Um, oh. As you
1: know, because we have the
2: same publisher, I That's think. Right. Um, but it's not uh, a Beatles book, shockingly That's to right. people. It's, and it's not a Monkey's book, and it's not a book of the uh, of my life story. It's a book of a hundred celebrities gave me their top ten favorite horror lists. So it's the book of top ten horror lists. And I, in fact, if you're a Beatles fan or a Monkey's fan, you're going to want it because <laughs> people like Mickey contributed to it. Um, Bobby Hart. Christian Nesmith all gave me their lists, yeah. uh, Pete Best. Um, Tony Bramwell, John Lennon's sister, a lot of people from the Beatles world gave me their lists. So it's really great, amazing pop culture people. Actors like uh, Ed Asner and Ruth Buzzy and Karen Black, uh, rock stars like uh, Gary Puckett, Little Anthony, um, uh, uh, Elliot Easton and Greg Hawks of the Cars, I can go on and on, Jane Wheatland from the <laughs> go has got ten, their top 10 horror lists in this book and it's the book of top10horrorlists.com just as it's as it's as it's worded you can find it on facebook or the website www book of 100 top, um no no book of top10horrorlists.com okay. but the best way is to just call me the number here is 203-795-4737 um, you can run that on the invisible audio scroll under us, uh, 203-795-4737 if people want to call that. any of the tours, any of the festivals. If they want to talk horror, Beatles, monkeys, uh, haunted houses, anything like that, uh, I'm on the other end always willing to chat with friends.
0: And is there another monkey show soon or no?
2: i don't think so i think you know god willing you know mickey and mike will be here for a very long time and we have to we won't have to do a memorial convention but i have no plans to do uh, anything monkey wise unless we throw together you know a monkey's night and have a band playing but not a convention per se no
0: that's okay Fair enough. <laughs> um, well, it's been a pleasure talking with you today, Charles. And, uh,
1: Same here.
0: When the book comes back, uh, it comes out, uh, we can have you back and we can talk horror or whatever you want to talk about. So,
2: <laughs> I would love that. That would be great.
0: All right. Well, I thank you very Mark, much. Mark,
2: thank you so much for uh, inviting me and, and, and asking great questions and letting me ramble on. <laughs>
0: All right. Have a great day. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Charles Rosene, for being my special guest. Episode number 88 will be coming soon if you'd like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com become a patron of mark arnold and fun ideas productions if everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast also subscribe to my youtube channel The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew, the slow poisoner, Goldfarb, and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2020, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. I'm paying
1: Don't fall back, don't fall back, don't fall back.